0: welcome to the all sooners podcast no shave november has ended it's thursday no it's wednesday it's wednesday what am i doing it's uh december 6th episode 227 of the all sooners podcast appreciate you guys joining us that's ryan chapman he's uh joining us from the apartment and more i'm john hoover in uh, the broken arrow studios Randall's going to jump on from Parts Unknown. Third segment, we'll talk recruiting. Of course, lots going on there. Oh, my goodness. But uh, let's see. Sooners finished the season. Didn't go to the championship game. Had to watch Oklahoma State and Texas fight it out, sort of, in Arlington. That was a pillow fight. Golly, that was a bad game. Um, and uh, And then they just had to wait for their fate. But the real news, of course, is what the transfer portal. The transfer portal has opened. Dear God, the carnage, the the humanity. Records
1: being set. Who we, we had a uh, a record on Portal Monday, December fourth, was the most players in one day to ever hit the portal in Stillwater. Gunnar Gundy's in the portal. That's what? the breaking news. Had. What happened there? No, it's it's portal season, all that stuff. And uh, we promise we're on a very tight deadline today. Chelsea, Man United play at 215. So we we can't drown on as we did last week. Otherwise, uh, I will just log off.
0: That's right. This will be a shorter pod because I've got a guy coming to the house who's going to chimney sweep and uh, do some uh, stuff on my dryer vent, I guess. I don't know how you do that, but uh, good on you. You clearly aren't on TikTok enough. You put the snake, like it looks like a snake
1: on a drill and you shove it into the vent and they like run the drill for five seconds. And then it's like years and years and years of lint pops out. And and it's we, very yeah, possible. we
0: did that and it didn't really work. So we're going to let a professional do it. We called in the pros. Um, the portal situation, here's the deal. You said it's a record over 3000 players in the portal, which is like, I think last year there was 2200 total for the entire stretch. This year already three thousand, so it's a little crazy. Sooner fans, it's not exactly an exodus, okay? I I saw that word used. ESPN used it, Oklahoma Exodus. When you see Dylan Gabriel jump into the portal, you are like, oh, it's an exodus. Right now, the number is eleven, okay? Total players, guys who you know left the team and then announced in December that they're that they left the team way back in like August, right, and then. Uh, announced in December, they're jumping in the portal. 11 players. Last year's total on the first two days was 16. So Matt says, take it for what it's worth. Things are kind of looking up. Your first reaction, though, when you see, Ryan, six players jump into the portal in the span of about an hour and 45 minutes. And uh, we had a first... different story on every one of them. Which my was first reaction. Intense. Blood
1: pressure up, especially because, peeling the curtain back, uh, not only did Oklahoma have six players announce, enter, whatever, uh, within about two hours, it was also right in the same window that I was going to OU basketball practice to talk to Porter Moser and John Hughley. So my first reaction was... Pray for Whov and Randall because I was just I was like in the parking lot, at the Lloyd Noble Center with my hotspot up. I'm just like I don't know what I can do to help, but I've yeah. got ten minutes. How can I help somebody? And and then uh, unfortunately to send you guys off. But no, I mean we're gonna dive through the names. So not to get into a, a ton, but every single one of these should have been expected. There there is maybe one guy that you might have raised an eyebrow at, yeah. and and but I, I think for the most part, it's just like that made sense. Oh yeah, that made sense. That guy had another eligibility. Well, that makes it l- mm-hmm. one of those things for a, for a lot of the guys in the portal.
0: Yeah, so here's the kind of the the situation. Um, it was uh, Dylan Gabriel at 8 a.m. 7:59, I think he posted his uh, intention to enter the portal. So Dylan Gabriel, quarterback, boom, start. I mean, he's he's like the the battering ram that knocks the door down, is what it felt like. Um, who jumped in at 9:30? Was it Nate Anderson? I think offensive lineman backup career backup offensive lineman and then the flood started at 11:26 we we got we find out that uh, Marcus Hicks has an, uh, who already left and had already announced his decision to go he announced that he was portaling to San Diego uh, San Diego State South Dakota State uh so he's going to play at South Dakota State that's been a big story for for us for some reason the last 3 days but um 13 minutes later Savion Bird enters the transfer portal Six minutes later, Reggie Grimes enters the transfer portal. Fourteen minutes later, the big one, the surprise, I think, Key Lawrence enters the transfer portal. That's 12.59 p.m. And then 24 minutes later, both Marcus Major and Daylon Smothers enter the transfer portal. So it felt like a lot all at once because it was. But, again, you're sitting at 11, and like Ryan said, every one of those guys, with the exception of Key Lawrence and you could make an argument for Tawee Walker, who already previously decided he was going to enter the portal. I think you could uh, make an argument for both of those guys that you're a little surprised that they're leaving. Um, you want? Let's discuss. Let's just what? go down the list, Ryan. Discuss think, surprised or no uh, Hicks? Of course not, right? Yeah, I, I think it's funny because like the two names that
1: you mentioned are not the names that I would have mentioned for oh, really? potential surprise. So let, let's rattle through them. I I, I always love. You get two people thinking things different ways, and yeah. and you get you arrive to
0: this. Let's do it. Okay, so Hicks not a surprise. No, uh, DJ Graham absolutely not a surprise. Cornerback converted to wide receiver never played, so of course he's going to land. He's going to go somewhere else.
1: Right. Yeah, that makes all the sense in the world, especially with the young guys in the wide receiver room. And we as of right now. No other wide receivers in the portal, but we talked about it last week. If an LV Bunkley, Shelton, or a JJ Hester hits, that also wouldn't be a surprise. For the same reason, it's not for DJ Graham. Guys banged up, not getting a ton of opportunity. You see Jaden Gibson, you see Nick Anderson. Uh, Emmett Jones has like seven thousand receivers committed over the next three years already. Like no surprises at all in that in that wide receiver room at all. But especially for uh, DJ Graham, who I hope finds a great landing spot to, to go play some football.
0: Llewellyn. Uh, decided mid season, he was going to tweet about his teammates, I guess, or, or retweet or post emojis about his teammates. Zero, zero percent, um, surprise here that Llewellyn is gone.
1: Yeah. My reaction to that was actually, hmm, that, that, that was my reaction to Jason Llewellyn hitting the portal.
0: Then came one that, uh, I think I was a little surprised about, I would say 60, 40, not surprised. How's that? Does that sound right? Tawee Walker, when you get sideways with your coach, your position coach, you're probably going to transfer. And when the season ends and you've almost, for for a brief stretch of the season, you've led the team in rushing, rushing touchdowns, whatever. I guess Dylan led the team in touchdowns. But you're, you're basically, for about four or five games, you're RB1. You're the leading running back and the season comes and goes, and you still haven't been put on scholarship, you've flexed your muscles, and you've shown your abilities and proven your value, and you didn't get a scholarship or or haven't gotten a scholarship yet. He probably was on in line too, I think. But you put those two things together. He butts heads with his position coach, and he doesn't get a scholarship. He's gone.
1: Yeah, for, for me, I would put this at like a 5% surprise. Like I really? thought that like if you had asked me, who was the running back most likely to portal? I would have said Tawi Walker for the exact reasons that you have. Um, well, first off, Tawi is a strong runner. There's no denying that. He has shown he doesn't have the top end speed to be a true like home run swing difference maker type guy. The defenses are only going to be faster next year. And Gavin Sachuk is the home run guy. He took that spot over. Tawi Walker wasn't even really a factor in toward the end of the season coming back off that injury. Then you add in the the butting heads with DeMarco Murray. Then you add in that he's not on scholarship. He seemed like the perfect candidate to say if he hit the transfer portal, he could A, get a scholarship elsewhere, but B, he could go and be the focal point of a backfield somewhere and, and get a lot of NIL uh, opportunity, things like that. And so it's not like a negative on Tommy Walker, not a negative on Oklahoma. He just seemed like a guy with a year left that could really go somewhere else and be the guy as opposed to being a guy. When you talk about a running back room that already has um, – it appears Barnes going to stay, has Sawchuck, has Taylor Tate in the top running back of the country coming in, has Xavier Robinson, who's an absolute boulder of a human being. Instead of being in a, in a big stuffed room, I was not surprised at all because you can go be the guy somewhere else and, and maybe closer to home and, and, and rake some NIL, which he's well-deserving of. Tawi's a great story and a great dude to talk to. Always enjoy yep. getting to talk to Tawi after games.
0: Yeah, and I thought, I thought he was going to stick around for the simple fact that there was a – he talked about it emotionally several times during the season, an appreciation for the people that gave him a chance and brought him in and he wants to prove himself. His family loves it here. I, I thought that was going to be the thing that – Kept him around, if if anything. Uh, Nate Anderson, good on you, son. Go get uh, go get a starting job somewhere. That's obviously not Oklahoma. He's been uh, he's been on the roster for three years now and hasn't really gotten many snaps. So, uh, perfect opportunity. This is what the transfer portal was made for.
1: Yeah, ditto. If you if you weren't able to kind of develop and be that depth piece, as Oklahoma's had to hit the portal a ton for depth, and then now under the new regime they're signing four and five offensive linemen every single year it, it made all the sense the guys like this situations like this are what the transfer portal made for he he stuck around he didn't quit on his team anything like that he, he worked his butt off and uh he deserves a chance to play football instead of your the rest of your career just being a, a practice player if you want to go play football go play football and uh, I, I think that a lot of these situations at, at oklahoma are what the
0: portal is for Ryan, I should have went to Kanawha or Sulfur or someplace like that. I just wasn't good enough to be an every down starter at Ada. Go play some. I should have football. gone find me a two A school, man.
1: I I did not have that <laughs> opportunity at like five four for most of my high school career. I don't think there's a school in the state
0: that would have taken me, which is yeah, fine. No, I get that. Okay, uh Reggie Grimes, defensive end. Not surprised at all. Um, he's a sentimental type guy. Right. And so I thought that was like the hook for him that might keep him around. He loves his teammates. He loves his coaches. He loves the fans. He loves the stadium. He loves his locker. I don't know. Uh, But played, he went from being an every down starter last year, Brent Venable's first season as a defense. And I remember Ryan asking Miguel Chavis, how do you get more out of your starters? How do you get more out of Reggie Grimes and Ethan Downs? I think he got more out of Ethan Downs, and I don't think he got more out of Reggie Grimes. Reggie Grimes played 49 snaps this season, took a red shirt. He's got an extra year of eligibility because he only played in four games.
1: Yeah, and and he is the – poster child for he did everything the right way right as far as representing the program he stuck with it yep. he went through the year of transition with Brett venables and the new coaching staff i just don't think he's a scheme fit for what oklahoma wants out of their defensive ends right i think you you saw that as, as far as he was a guy that was playing some snaps early and then by the end of the year he was on the sideline he was a great teammate but he was in street clothes because i think that As you mentioned, he had had a conversation with the coaching staff, and it sounds like they came to an agreement. You can preserve your year of eligibility and go play college football and go be an impact player somewhere else. I I just don't think that what Brent Minables asked out of his defensive lineman is is what Reggie Grimes perfectly syncs up with. And so you see that, that happens, and Reggie's – we've got some – it's tough. Tawie's a great interview. Key Lawrence is a great interview. Reggie's a great interview. Like, I'm going to miss some of these guys. Gr- great dudes So that I hope finds a lot of success elsewhere.
0: Uh, Grimes, remember first two games of 2022? He looked like an all pro. Remember the, all the all tackles for losses and he's slinging quarterbacks down by their shoulder pads? It was just a stunning performance to his uh, start of his junior season. But uh, senior year, went a little... Uh, less spectacular. Okay. Savion bird offensive line. This is one I'm a little bit surprised at. I'd say close to 50, 50, maybe 60, 40 surprised because Savion, he didn't like the way things went in 2023, but I think he was down to be a starter again, hands down in 2024. I think the future was going to be bright for him. And uh, I don't know. He just decided uh, greener pastures lie elsewhere.
1: Yeah, I think this is another one that was uh, be about the same spot, 50-50 surprise. Because like on one hand, you can make the case both ways, right? Hey, uh, McCade Matthias heading out. he's has no more eligibility left, so there's another guard spot. But also, Oklahoma put you in a spot. You started the Cheez-It Bowl last bowl season. You had that runway through the spring and summer and fall to make that spot your own. You started as the guy And every time Savion Bird was in, the offensive line was up and down and sideways and incredibly inconsistent. And he's a physical freak that for Bill Bedenboe and what he wants out of him, I think the light bulb hadn't quite flipped on yet. And so you want to come back another year and try and find, just as far as the consistency goes, because he's pretty inconsistent, maybe. If I'm Oklahoma, I'm also looking at contingencies, though, to go, okay, well, we saw a whole year where it didn't really flip on. You had Caden Green give you a ton of great stuff. They're probably going to go grab a guard out of the portal. So for Bird, do you want to battle for a spot that you already had and then lost, or do you want to just start anew somewhere else? I, like, I could have seen that thing both ways, and so I didn't know what was going to happen here, but um, he was on that list of guys that we talked about maybe last week. Of like, maybe it wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world if, if this guy hits the portal.
0: There's another one that uh, coming up that I'm about 90% surprised he left, and that's Key Lawrence. Key Lawrence got his second chance coming from Tennessee, gets in the lineup. He's plays corner, he plays safety, plays strong, he plays weak. He played a little nickel that first year, and Alex Grinch didn't know what to do with him. He just knew he was productive, so he put him on the field. And everywhere you got the peanut punch, you got guys him knocking guys down. Comes in the second year, he's a little bit inconsistent, in and out of the lineup. Third year, a little bit inconsistent, in and out of the lineup. One of the um, – one of the guys who needs to work on his tackles probably more than others. Okay. Um, But with a year of eligibility left, I thought for sure key Lawrence was coming back. I was not surprised
1: by this in, in the slightest because I think that there are a couple of spots that Oklahoma feels great about the youth movement. And if, here was the contingency. If Oklahoma got indication that Billy Bowman was going to return, which nothing has been announced on that either way. Right. Then I think Oklahoma was going to be super happy to say, we would like to carve out a clear path for Peyton Bowen and Robert Spears Jennings to be the future at the other safety spot. Um, This one is the one that makes me the saddest because key Lawrence is my favorite interview on the team. Uh, I love me some talking with some key Lawrence, I just think that you had the similar inconsistencies that you had a year ago. And so if everything was the same, I think he was going to be a prime candidate that they were going to say, if you have Key Lawrence, great. Why not give those snaps to Robert Spears, Jennings and Peyton Bowen when you know the mistakes that Key makes. One of those things that Britt Middles talked about his, his first year in Norman, maybe wishing he had done stuff a little different down the stretch. So I, I thought that Key honestly was a guy that, I think he's a pretty good athlete. I thought he'd just go to the league and not maybe not get drafted, maybe not be a high draft pick at like a like a 6th, 7th somewhere in there and just try and start the process of trying to find a roster to stick on, be a special teams guy and show up cuz he he finds his way around the football for sure. Uh be a guy that maybe you just got to get one of those coaching staffs in the NFL to take a shot on you and try to get you a bed into your system.
0: Yeah. Um there's not a ton of opportunity in the safety spot like there is on the offensive line with Savion Bird, right? The, the opportunities are going to be slimmer. Um, but I, you think you're saying you think that the coaching staff probably encouraged him at some point? Guys, guys are coming up behind you and they're going to take your snaps, kind of thing.
1: I, I think that they'd be like, we, we'd love to have you back, but here's the reality of the situation. Aiden yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bowen, if he is not in a boot, probably gobbles up a ton of key snaps down the end of the season. That's, That's true. true. Just one yeah. of those things of like, we're just going to lay it out and be like, look, great leader, great locker room guy. No, I, no one's going to say no to having Key Lawrence on their roster, right. but I think that they would have said if Billy's back, we would love to give snaps to Peyton Bowen, Robert Spears Jennings, and you're going to be in a platoon. Do, do you want to split snaps with three guys for your last year of college football? Or do you want to go try and start somewhere what, yeah, and play a ton? You know, one of those things.
0: It's a good point. Uh, Marcus major, not surprised one bit. This is a, another perfect example of the transfer portal. Marcus major grew up a sooner fan, grew up in Oklahoma city, came to Oklahoma, played for four seasons, made an impact when he played, And then decided, you know what, if I'm going to have a breakout season, if I'm going to have a chance to really show myself 200 carries, 250 carries, and and live out my dream and go to the NFL, have a shot at the NFL, i got to do it now. And he's going into the transfer portal, so I expect him to land somewhere and shine. Yeah, I I almost wondered with
1: Marcus, I I think back to – Trace Ford giving an interview last spring talking about that he was banged up so much through his Oklahoma State career that he almost just needed a change of scenery just for some refreshments um, to get reinvigorated because obviously injuries is just a luck thing. But Marcus Majors, a guy that was just banged up so much. And I remember talking to him in August and his whole thing was like any free time I have is going to be in the training room because I just got to be on the field. I know what I can be to this team if I'm on the field. And then he had a shoulder injury, right down the stretch, which kind of held him out of some of those games. So I almost wonder for Marcus if it's a, I wonder if he talked to Trace Ford at all or something like that, of just hey, just changing scenery and not being around the place where you sustain so many unlucky injuries. Maybe it puts you in a better headspace to go chase out one more year. Uh, don't know any of the situation, but he'd be dope with Kevin Wilson. I feel like that that like that'd be a yeah.
0: lot. Of It'd be a good marriage for sure okay uh, last one on this particular list before we uh, pull apart Dylan Gabriel is uh, Daylon Smothers uh, I'm a little surprised but anytime you get a freshman who's that far away from home North Carolina remember he didn't even play his senior year in North Carolina he had a he transferred schools and then the the, the association or the conference or some opponent school I guess told him hey he's not eligible he he, he can't do this. And, uh, and he ended up losing his senior year. So he sat out a whole year of football comes all the way to Oklahoma showed a little bit in his, uh, I think four games that he, that he got to play showed a little bit, had some moments. Um, but a young guy being that far from home, you know, making a massive adjustments in his life. I'm surprised because I think there was a little bit of opportunity for him, but I'm also not surprised because it just seems to fit.
1: Yeah. I, I, Any of the running backs outside of Gavin Sachuk, I'm probably not jaw on the floor, just gobsmacked because of the stuff we talked about earlier. There's a bunch of bodies, number one overall running back, Xavier Robinson. Uh, When these guys were eyeing it up to, Andy Bass didn't have his unfortunate injury, so there were three running backs coming into that room Right on top of uh, that. But this is probably actually the most surprising one for me just because it felt like oh, he was making an effort. You, you look at some of the travel rosters. Yeah. He was traveling and Caleb Hicks wasn't toward the end of the year. Right. Um, you had heard some smoke that uh, toward the end of the year, he might have been a surprise running back, getting some reps over some other guys behind Sawchuck That You just wondered the homesick thing, absolutely, but if Oklahoma might have done enough of showing him like, we're, we're traveling you when we're only traveling four running backs. You're not the odd man out. We're giving you some reps in practice. We do believe in you. I I just wondered if that would have been enough for him to want to stick through the spring and one more season, see what happens. So th- This, to me, is actually um, probably the most surprising, which I think speaks to the fact that none of these were surprising at all.
0: Yeah, that's true. Uh, when you got guys like <clears throat> Taylor Tatum coming in, Xavier Robinson coming in, behind a a freshman like this, you know, they're going to continue to recruit running backs. You have to continue to recruit and you try to get the best in the country. So, you know, if his opportunity somewhere else, that makes sense. Um, He played in the first two games, I think, or two of the first three games like everybody else did. And then he played in two of the last three games. Like you said, they gave him an opportunity. They brought him in and said, Hey, we, we can use you here. Um, Dylan Gabriel, we saved him for last. Obviously he's the quarterback. I got to say, when you say Dylan Gabriel transfer portal, I'm surprised. I was surprised. I was thoroughly surprised. And the reason is I thought for sure he was going to go to the NFL draft. Turns out Dylan Gabriel also thought he was going to go to the NFL draft, got his draft eval back, which I, I guess it's kind of early for this. Uh, I guess the NFL has kind of picked up the pace on these. These used to come out after December 15th. Um, December 12th, 15th, 18th, they used to come out, the draft evals, uh, the week before Christmas. And now they're coming out the first week of December. Okay, if Dylan Gabriel looks at his draft eval and says, it says, uh, seventh round, free agent, whatever. Then what's his opportunities at that point? And this is where it gets sticky for me. We We talked about it last February on signing day. We talked about it in March when we had access to the players uh, in April in spring practice. We talked about it with Jeff Lebby at media day in August. And we talked about it with Dylan Gabriel a couple of times down the stretch. Is he coming back? You've got an extra year of eligibility left. Are you going to come back? And it was always, you know, spray paint the camera so you can't see what's going on. Uh, Just, I, I, I don't really know. I don't really know. And, And we were always wondering what, what's behind his kind of, mystery answers, and why is he not really clear on what's going on? Now we know. He loves Oklahoma. Uh, he respects the hell out of Jackson Arnold. He loves Jeff Lebby, and I think all those things together, maybe he just saw an opportunity for to turn the, turn the keys over, hand the keys over to Jackson Arnold and say uh, the best thing for Oklahoma right now is to move on. Without me, I'm going to go play one more year somewhere I can have a really big year and maybe chase some of those records that I finished second or fourth in touchdown, accounted for, eighth in passing yards, all these records that he's chasing. Maybe he can get to the top of that thing. Who knows? Yeah, I think there's that, and I think I,
1: I truly take him at his word because Dylan's always been a guy that shot pretty straight with us when he said I'm thinking NFL, and he was kind of surprised with the season yeah. that he had that that it didn't do much for what his initial kind of grade was, and so when you, it, yeah, w- w- when you look at it, yeah, when you look at it, NFL rookie league minimum is seven fifty a year. That's if you stick on a roster the whole year long, all that stuff. Um, If you're a day three, like seventh round type guy, that's no guarantee that you're going to stick on a roster, stuff like that. Um, You look at Matt Rule's comments about what's a quarterback go for in the portal right now, 1.5 to 2 million, 1 million. That's all more than uh, what NFL league minimum is for a rookie. And that's all, it's not guaranteed, but it's, if, Oregon, for instance, is picking up the phone and saying, we want you to come be our quarterback. You're not in a quarterback battle to stick on a roster. You're the starting quarterback of the Oregon Ducks unless you get hurt. You know what I mean? And so um, I, I think it makes all the sense when you have the context of the stuff that he heard from the next level, not getting a senior bowl invite, for instance, which is mind blowing if that's true. I know. What the hell? But the senior bowl folks do a great job. Uh, that must have just been like the invitation must be stuck in the Twitter DMs didn't <laughs> the because there is no way that Dylan Gabriel, if you want to go to the senior bowl, should not be playing in the senior bowl it, anyway. But that's all separate. And everyone knew the situation. In Oklahoma, this is not and you're seeing this can go a different way. Right. There's a five star quarterback on a campus in Los Angeles that uh, Lincoln Riley's doing everything he can to dive into the portal because he knows Malachi Nelson ain't it. That's Mm. not what you've heard out of Norman from the second Jackson Arnold got there in the spring, all the summer, through the fall. Brent Venables and Jeff Lebby are no-nonsense guys. They don't label him the future face of the program in August if they don't believe it. And I I think everybody just knew. So for Gabriel, it's a chance – I uh, hit the portal one more time, play one more year, play your final year. It's, it's the final nothing's guaranteed, but this is as close to a guaranteed year as you get in the sport of football where Dylan Gabriel will play as long as you say he's healthy. And, and I think that he'll have a great opportunity. And I think that,
0: uh, I hope he likes green and yellow. Yeah. So you think it's Oregon. I think Mississippi state's in play. I think, I, I don't know what the situation is quarterback situation is at UCLA, but he was almost going there before, I figured it out during the course of our conversation, I figured out why Dylan Gabriel is going to portal instead of going to the NFL. Here is the one reason. And I'm going to list it for you. Okay. Pay attention. Caleb Williams, Drake may Bo Nix, Jaden Daniels, Michael Penix, uh, Shador Sanders, Carson Beck. Um, is he, is he already draft eligible?
2: Jay I think McCarthy.
0: he's a year away. I think he's Bex a year away. J.J. McCarthy. Rattler. Uh, when yours is draft eligible. You see what I'm saying? These are guys that uh, – uh, I think Riley Leonard's a year away. Um, I'm not sure about that last one. Uh, anyway, the point is the, uh, the draft class is loaded with quarterbacks. They probably told him, you're probably not going to get drafted this year because of this, or you're going to get drafted low because of this come out in 2024 you might be the star of that class so um, um, another business decision but again it's just it's it's he's in a weird spot in that he could have stayed at Oklahoma and put up some more big numbers and loves it here and his family gets to visit and all this stuff right but what does that do for Jackson Arnold not much Uh, Jackson might have transferred eventually himself. Jackson might have uh, gotten angry and, and, you know, not getting to play, or maybe it was promised to him at some point, he, you know, two years, he's going to be gone. You're the guy. And then all of a sudden that comes to pass and it's not him. They, you know, false promise or whatever. So the whole situation, and they know, those guys know way more sitting in that quarterback room and sitting in that staff room with, with Brent Venables than any of us do. So that's, that's some presumptions on my part.
1: I, I just think what it means that if if Jack Snarl doesn't work out, this is on the evaluation from the coaching staff cuz I don't think that this is as clean a break on all sides if Oklahoma didn't truly believe with everything in that building that Jack Snarl's going to be a massive impact playmaker at the quarterback spot. So, we we've seen the anointed one not work out before, right? Yeah. For but. Sure. If anything, if if it's not great next year, no one should be upset at Jack Snarl. This is on the coaching staff. This is, this is the first really huge bet by Brent Venables and this coaching staff when you pair in the Seth Luttrell transition and all that stuff. So I, I think it's going to make for a fascinating, fascinating 2024 on top of the fact it's the SEC. Mm-hmm. Just go peruse the college football playoff rankings that were the final ones and cross-reference with OU's schedule next year. It, it's going to be – Fascinating, a huge bet. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that Gabriel end up at Oregon. Um, I think that when you look at it, he talked yesterday on the franchise with uh, Dylan Buckingham, talked about wanting to go win a national championship. This is no knock on Jeff Levy, but Mississippi State is a job that he's taken over because someone was fired for performance, not yep. behavior, performance. Uh, it, it's a rebuild process. And uh, this was brought to my attention as well. Do you know where Oregon opens the 2024 season? No, I don't. Oregon plays in Honolulu against Hawaii. On the I mean, come on, go get some of that. Marcus Mariota, an idol of Dylan Gabriel. Yep. Where did he play at Oregon? You get to follow in Mariota's footsteps and go home and play in Hawaii. And on top of that, Oregon's got a bag. They've got a bunch of bags. They got all the bags in the world laying around. Uh, he'll make what he needs to make at Oregon. He'll be at a spot where Dan Lane and that coach staff have already brought in a Nix, a graduate transfer type guy, and he hit the ground running a year ago. Yep. Um there there wasn't like a huge headache transition process. Like it makes all the sense in
0: the world. Closer yeah. to home, all the stuff. It's a good point. It's a great point by you. Um so let's talk about Dylan Gabriel's legacy real quick. Um Perfect quarterback, no. This is what I wrote earlier in the week. It was he perfect quarterback, no, but he was the perfect quarterback at the right time for Oklahoma. Uh, he gets to OU, well, he gets a call from Jeff Levy, and what they've got is a true freshman, Nick Evers, a, a walk-on, Ralph Rucker, a walk-on, Ben Harris, and a walk-on transfer, Micah Bowens. That was the quarterback room when uh, Dylan Gabriel picked up that phone. Spencer Rattler, remember, had dipped right after the bowl was announced. said, I'm going to the transfer portal. Caleb Williams was hanging around and, you know, played in the bowl game, played great, but we all knew he was not sticking around. He was going to join Lincoln Riley. So when Dylan got here, the quarterback picture was bleak. And, you know, a month later, which is now coming up on two years, uh, Jackson Arnold committed. And he's been here in town now for a year learning, studying from Dylan Gabriel. I think that's what his eventual legacy is going to be. He kind of held it together. Um, he's like a mortar that came in and held things together while the repair work went on around him. Maybe like a scaffolding would be a better analogy. Um, just the simple fact that he put up a bunch of big numbers. A lot of people thought, oh, he overthrew Drake Stoops and he underthrew, you know, Nick Anderson, blah, blah, blah. He did. He did. So he wasn't the perfect quarterback, but he was the right quarterback at the right time for for Jeff Levy, for that offense, for Brent Venables to get this thing restarted in a new direction.
1: Yeah, he he was the great stabilizer of the the offense, basically. Um, As ludicrous as it was, when Lincoln Riley left, the national narrative was Oklahoma will never have a great quarterback again, because people are not. You don't have to be a college football historian. You just have to have like half of a functioning brain to just look like the 10 years prior and be like, Oh, Sam Bradford, that wasn't a Lincoln Riley guy, but whatever. I digress. But, but it, it was perception. Be, can become reality because recruits live on Twitter and Dilly Gabriel came in and a year later or two years later, leads Oklahoma to 10 wins, puts up huge numbers. Yes. You can still have an explosive offense at Oklahoma and, as much as we thought that Jalen Hurts' legacy was going to live on a couple of years because he was going to be the role model to Spencer Rattler, and yeah. if Spencer Rattler goes on to great stuff, yeah. it was going to be a through line of, well, I learned this and that from Jalen Hurts. Well, that one didn't work out, but Dylan Gabriel, he was talking yesterday. He's great friends with Jackson Arnold. They have a great relationship, and if Jackson Arnold goes on to be the guy that you thinks he's going to go on to be, would not be surprising if two years from now, deep in the air, he's like, well, I learned this from Dylan or learned that from Dylan. And Dylan Gabriel is still a conversation around Oklahoma football because of some of the the tracks that he set Jackson Arnold on. Because, um, I, I mean, Brent's talked about all this stuff, but who better to learn from and just watch for a year of, of, of he, whether you think that he connected on enough deep balls or not, everything he did behind the scenes was done the right way as far as preparation, being a good teammate, all that stuff. And that's the guy that Jackson got to learn under for the last year.
0: Tell you what we'll do. Uh, we'll take a little break here uh, coming up. We're, we're, you buried the lead, obviously. Uh, let's be honest. Transfer portal is the lead. But Oklahoma made it to a bowl game. That's the news of the week. We don't know for sure if DG is going to play in it. I would be shocked if he does because I think it would be the wrong move. But anyway, the uh, the All-Centers crew is headed to San Antonio again. We'll be there, all three of us. Plus, we got to dive into this fine basketball squadron that Mr. Porter Moser has uh, assembled there at the Lloyd Noble Center. All that's next on the All Sooners Podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond, or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners Podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. All right, segment two, uh, give us a follow on Twitter at all at underscore ryan chapman and don't forget ross at ross lovelace and randall at randall suite five those guys are cranking out the good stuff this weekend as well as uh every weekend during football season and basketball season ross is uh helping out there as well so uh, yeah looking forward to it i loved ross's story last week on uh on the um mccaslin Fieldhouse game didn't you
1: yeah it it was great stuff and He's been able to get some great insight, not just with the team, obviously, but, uh, I mean, getting Lon Kruger on the horn, stuff like that. It was a a really, really good read, and uh, thankfully for Ross, I think it was a great read followed by a great performance that we'll get into here in a little
0: bit. one of many great performances. The website, which you can find all the football, the basketball, the portal stuff, the bowl, bowl previews, everything, everything. Is at allsooners.com. We are a fan nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. No signups, no emails, no passwords, no credit cards, no accounts needed. We don't have any discounts because everything is free. How about that? This segment of the All Sooners podcast is presented by Infinite Asset Advisors. Quick question regarding retirement Do you know what your largest risk is in retirement? I'll tell you, it's longevity. Because the longer you live, the more likely you are to run out of money. The more likely the stock market will crash or taxes will go up, the more likely that inflation is going to eat into your retirement funds. But there is one and only one way to take longevity risk off the table, and that is with guaranteed lifetime income. You see, if, if you don't have a guaranteed lifetime income stream in place, you might be able to retire but the math and the science proves that you probably won't be able to, you won't be happy in retirement because you're going to be afraid to spend your money. You're going to be afraid of running out of money. So let us show you how to make sure you have guaranteed paychecks coming in to cover your basic expenses. And then you can use other investments for your paychecks. You can visit our website, infiniteassetadvisors.com or call us 512 710 Zero one three zero, Infinite Asset Advisors is owned and operated by lifelong Sooner fans. All right, um, Alamo Bowl, December twenty eighth, San Antonio, eight fifteen p.m. kickoff, ESPN. Let's go. It's all yours. Arizona nine and three. They're really good.
1: Yeah, it's it's a uh, big time matchup as far as the uh, it's the highest ranked matchup outside of the New Year six, and I think that one of the fun things about this one though is going to be on the Arizona side and maybe I'm speaking out of turn I don't expect many opt-outs if at all this is a blend of uh, some young talent that's been brought in by Jed Fish who uh, in another year where you didn't have an unbeaten Washington or the job that Dan Lanning Dan uh, did at Oregon Fish would have been your Pac-12 coach of the year he was excellent Uh, having to switch to a redshirt freshman quarterback in Fafita a couple weeks in and still trucking along a one-score loss to the Huskies, a triple overtime loss to USC, and then a, a week two loss to Mississippi State. That's it. Those are the only blemishes for this team. So Fish was talking in his pre-Alamo Bowl introductory press conference, whatever, the, the due-to-do on Sunday, uh, about how anyone that's been at Arizona, this is their first bowl trip that they're able to prepare for. Anyone that might have bowl experience would have had to be a transfer, but he was looking through and he thinks this will be the first bowl experience for all those guys. So I would expect Arizona – they're looking at this as, oh, gosh, we get a great bowl game. We get to play Oklahoma. They've been the bullies of the Big 12 for 27 years. We're about to go to the Big 12. So Arizona's going to see this thing as an opportunity to springboard into 2024. You flip it over on the Oklahoma side of things, no official announcement. But as you said earlier, I think we're both expecting this to be Jackson Arnold's first start at Oklahoma and and outside of the list of guys that are in the portal right now. I don't know. I mean, Tyler Guyton might opt out and go to the NFL draft. Andrew Ray might opt out and go to the NFL draft. Otherwise Billy Bowman sounded like on the coach's show on Monday that he's locked in on the Alamo bowl. I would imagine Danny Stutzman, even if he decides he wants to go pro a couple of weeks to heal up and put good tape on the Alamo bowl that says, the, the shortcomings toward the end of November, which were not, by Stutzman standard shortcomings, not mm-hmm. play, were more due to the fact that he had had a shoulder stinger all year long that he refused to talk about. The ankle still didn't look 100%. Uh, I, I'm expecting great attendance on both sides of this game, which means not only is it by rankings a top 14 matchup, I think by product you're going to get one of the best bowl games of bowl season outside of the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I agree. Outside of the playoff and some New Year's Six games, I agree. That I think that's going to be a, a competitive game, fun game. Um, and I'll say this: OU lost two games by eight points. USC, I'm sorry, um, Arizona lost uh, the three games by 16 points. Touchdown, touchdown, and two in double, over, triple overtime to USC. Um, this was before USC collapsed when us when we still thought USC was good. They were a top 10 team, I believe. Denied um, by Texas. Yes, that's right. They got a two-point conversion, uh, Arizona did. Two-point conversion. They were down eight, and they tied it 28-28 to send it to overtime. But, Ryan, I was listening to this game on satellite radio coming back home. And Caleb Williams scores to make it a seven-point game. Noah Fafita throws the touchdown pass on the first play of overtime, 25-yard touchdown pass. And everybody in the stadium was like, go for two everybody in my car, which was me at three in the morning. I think it was was one in the morning. What are you doing? Jed fish go for two, win the game. He kicks the extra point, goes to a second overtime, goes to a third overtime. They lose. I'm just like, that's kicking extra points is a loser's mentality. Taking it to another overtime is a loser's mentality. I didn't, I didn't think that was his finest moment, but, um, well it, he's, a, it, he's an unbelievable coach and here's how unbelievable he is yeah his last bowl game he stay told us on the call was the super bowl <laughs> now
1: never mind i'm not going to say anything he coached in the super bowl with the rams it was not the super bowl with the rams that Three you want to remember Three uh turns. if you can see if you're watching on the youtube the little rams in the background that's all i'll say uh Despite the fact that the Patriots did a number on the offense, the Patriots still were like, we would like you to come work for us immediately after that yeah. game. So uh, that shows that. Uh, I, I think, too, that uh, you might not have seen this because you were listening to that USC game. Jed Fish thought that you kicked extra points in the first and second overtime and then went for it in the third overtime. Because In the mm-hmm. second overtime, he rolled his field goal team out there. And wow. I think you saw it hit him all in one moment of like, Well, shoot, guys, I should have just gone for it in the last over. Like, if, if you know what I mean? So I think it was a little miscommunication with the overtime rules.
0: New coach, Uh, the uh, the change in overtime rules, new head coach. Yeah, I get it. So one of the – and that should not
1: take away from the incredible job that Fish has done. This is a legit team. It's it's a top 18 offense, I think. They're 36th in total defense. Arizona is uh, 18th in total offense to match up with, obviously, Oklahoma's high-powered attack that – will look a little bit different, we would expect, with a uh, couple different guys along the offensive line, probably, and uh, Jackson Arnold. So, I mean, the Alma Bowl's got to be like, man, we luck out when we get Oklahoma. They've yeah. had them twice ever. They'll only have them twice ever unless that contract changes from off of Big 12, Pac-12. But the first time ever, it's Bob Stoops' last ride. There's a bunch of Crimson for that Oregon game because everyone wants to show out and be like, this is Oklahoma football. I would imagine they need to make some official announcements to move some tickets. But if Jackson Arnold's getting the go and everyone knows it's going to be the Jackson Arnold experience, I think there are a lot of fans that San Antonio is an easy trip. The Alamo Dome is a great venue. San Antonio, the Riverwalk, is awesome. Why not go down there, be warm a couple of days after Christmas, and watch your true freshman quarterback start his first game?
0: That's right. I, I said, uh, I said new coach in regards to Jeff, Jed Fish. He's in his third year, but, um, new, new head coach for, you know, one of the first time he's been an interim head coach once or twice, I think. So he's a, uh, he's a new head coach and they just changed the rules. What was it? Year before last overtime rules. So anyway, I get those two bumped up to, against each other and I could see where you would be thinking, okay, we'll just sit, kick this one and send it to the overtime. Now, bro, you got to go for it. Avoid that second overtime. Anyway, um that little Rams hat over my left shoulder there when it was, what was the score of that game? 13 to three Patriots three or 13 to three. I, I snatched it off my head and threw it across the room and it like landed, like hit the piano and like slid down behind the piano, but was still sticking out. It sat there behind the piano on the floor, gathering dog hairs and dust until August. No September. When the season started, when the season started, I picked that sucker up and I dusted it off and, Put it back on my head. My wife's like, "Are you going to pick that up?" And I'm like, "No, and I don't want you to either."
1: <laughs> it stays. It's in- it stays. The Rams
0: hat stays behind the piano.
1: Uh, Hove, who famously spent the second half of the Super Bowl that the Rams won in the shower, right? Like you were like, "Screw this! I'm going to take a uh, shower." Hove,
0: quick trigger on his teams. No, those were. Uh- the, the Super Bowl itself, I, I had a good feeling, and I stayed and watched the whole thing. It was the playoff games and the clinching games leading up to the Super Bowl that I was like in the, oh, it was the championship game, right? The, the... legal position, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can't take it. it. It hurts being a fan, man. You guys know what I'm talking about. It oh, hurts. I, yeah.
1: I uh, I think my friendship with Matt Burton when we're doing the soccer show later. He's a United fan. I'm a Chelsea fan, and Scout does not like soccer. Like Scout knows what soccer is. Yeah. Scout's favorite sport is baseball because the one I yell at the least. Because when bad things happen to the Braves, it's like there's 160 more of these. It'll be fine. Yeah. I do not have that same attitude when Chelsea is on the screen and Scout. Like when she sees their soccer, she will go to the (laughs) other room because I am heated for about 90 minutes.
0: Smart girl. Smart girl. (laughs) All right, so Dylan Gabriel um, said that he and Brent Venables are still working out what the immediate future is going to look like. Uh, they're still trying to go through the details, trying to figure out: would it be a massive mistake for Dylan Gabriel to play in this game? I think at this point, you got to turn it over to Jackson Arnold, don't you?
1: Yeah, and I like the motivation for Gabriel would be like he's he's an old school guy, right? He Oklahoma means a great deal to him. I think he's a guy that's like, I want to finish out what I've started. But I also think that now, like just because someone hits the transfer portal, doesn't make him a quitter or a bad person or a loser or anything like that. And just because Dylan Gabriel, if he does not play in this Alamo bowl, that doesn't make him a bad person either. First off his next school, I would imagine is not going to love him rolling out there, especially if Andrew Rame and Tyler Guyton opt out now for Guyton. Um, You've already got Jacob Sexton. But say maybe if a Walter Rouse, who's got no eligibility left, I can't imagine why he wouldn't want to play in this game. But for whatever reason, if like a Walter Rouse doesn't want to go, I can't imagine Dylan Gabriel's next school wants him to roll out there with two backup offensive linemen for 60 minutes. They're just Mm -hmm. sitting there going, no, 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 because he'll be committed by then. Uh, But for Seth Luttrell and Brent Venables and Jackson Arnold, why wouldn't you want to give – not just the 15 practices of you are QB1, this is what it's like to prepare at Oklahoma as QB1, but then to go and play in that game. So um, it, it should not – if Dylan Gabriel does not play in this game, Oklahoma fans should think 0% less of him, I, I think. like It is not a reflection. I think that if in the ideal world, Dylan would finish out this season, do the Caleb Williams, and then hit the po- – but that's just not how college football works anymore, That's especially yeah. with a quarterback. Uh, there's only one of those that, that gets to play most games uh, for each team. It needs to be Jackson Arnold. Uh, and I know there's some people that say, get him all the practice reps and then Dylan could play. No, 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 no. He needs to play. He yeah. needs to go out there. This is a good defense. Start to get that feel with Seth Luttrell. What a game day is going to be like, all that stuff. This is the chance to get
0: him a quality, quality start headed into the SEC. Agreed. This is going to be big for his growth to get all these reps, all these snaps, all these QB one reps, uh, and then going into the SEC, he's gonna have he's gonna have this game under his belt. He's gonna have all of next spring practice under his belt. He's gonna be a different quarterback when the SEC schedule arrives next year. It's huge. Um, who's gonna be the backup? Davis Bevel all the way. I mean, he's been he's been the number three slash almost parentheses two guy right for for the whole season. It's going to be davis bevel um do they need a, another quarterback for this game or do, i know they need one next spring before before next spring gets here they need a yeah, portal have, guy. But how do you get a portal guy to come in and be your backup we've discussed that before
1: yeah you'll have bevel and booty for this unless one of those guys hits the portal beforehand and yeah. um if, if i'm oklahoma I, I think it's an easier sell to get davis bevel or general booty to come back next year in a situation they're familiar with uh, if you can win that recruiting battle to have those guys not hit the portal then it probably is to convince someone outside the program to come in and hey we need a backup quarterback you, you know what i mean it, it's just a tough sell most quarterbacks are hitting the portal for playing time it takes a really unique situation like for bevel he went from a third string guy to a second string guy when when so you you're looking at another one of those but yeah i, I think the recruiting battle is to try and get davis bevel or general booty back that'll be your backups that'll be fine for for the bowl game then from there you're gonna have a, a pair of true freshmen next year in in uh brennan zurberg and michael hawkins but you'd still like either bevel or booty because you, you need someone that's not a true freshman probably uh just just backing up jackson arnold you're gonna need that next year yeah right?
0: Now, Ryan, you know me, you know I love San Antonio, you know I love the Riverwalk, you know I love the Marriott Riverwalk where the Media Hotel is, uh, you know I love, and we're going to be eating some shrimp paisano at Paisano's on the Riverwalk. I love, every time I've ever gone to San Antonio, I've fallen more in love with the city. Having said all that, the truth is Oklahoma should not even be in this bowl. They should be in the Fiesta Bowl against Oregon, which would be I guess, send Liberty to play uh, in Atlanta to play Ole Miss in the Peach Bowl because Penn State should not be in this year's New Year's Six field. Oklahoma should be in this New Year's Six field. Ryan, I think um, the college football playoff, we'll get, we'll get into the playoff itself, the top four in just a second, but the committee, I thought kind of crapped its pants a little bit on the playoff. And we can argue about that if you want to, but I also thought they crapped their pants a little bit on uh, the new year six field with Oklahoma getting left out. I thought you deserved a bid to the, uh, to the play. You know, you talk specifically about who's got more wins. Oklahoma's got five quality wins. Q one wins Penn state's got one. Who's Penn state beaten? What is Penn state's best uh, accomplishments? They didn't get blown out by Michigan and, and uh, Ohio state. That's their number one accomplishment is not getting beat by 40.
1: Yeah. They're, they're number one. And by the way, that Michigan game, if anyone wants to remember Michigan had so little respect for Penn state's offense that they just said, we're just going to run the ball 5 trillion times. Yeah. Like they, they were like, we have JJ McCarthy who uh, is being pumped up as a NFL guy. And they didn't even trust him to throw the ball. Cause they knew Penn state couldn't like Penn state's best wins Iowa. Congrats! So, uh-huh. the, the committee has shown, and the it's one of the biggest problems I have with the committee is that quality losses almost mean more than quality wins yeah, when you have when you have teams with the same record, and that is literally why when you look at the the four team logjam at ten and two, Missouri, Ole Miss, Penn State, Oklahoma. Oklahoma is at the bottom of those. Why? Because they have the two worst losses. That's literally it. Oklahoma's the best win. Mm-hmm. They beat Texas of all those teams. Yeah. That should matter for something. But I, I think what probably happened is this. The committee did all that work a week ago, and they did not even reevaluate to reconsider that Texas is now a playoff team by their own standards. It's yeah, the best win in the country. It, they didn't consider any of that because uh best win of the non-playoff teams, excuse me. Because they spent 24 hours crapping the bed over, oh, my God, we're going to have to leave Florida State out, and they're panicked. And you've seen some of the anonymous quotes that the committee was panicked about the backlash. And then they had to make a decision between Liberty and SMU. Everywhere else, there was no movement other than how far do we need to drop the teams that lost Conference Championship Weekend, slide everybody else up. I think they spent zero seconds even yep. wondering about that, which is why we got to this. I think you're totally right. no nope, I'm On the
0: They got, they got lazy. Yeah. If you think about Oklahoma, Oklahoma beat Texas. We've said that Texas, all they did was beat the crap out of Oklahoma state and climb into the playoff field. Right. One win conference champion. Uh, They beat SMU, which doesn't look like anything for 12 weeks. And then you get to the end of the season. You're like, wait a minute. SMU won the American. They beat Tulane. They're 11 and three SMU. Yeah. SMU jumped into the rankings. And these things happened above Oklahoma, right, that would allow them to – that should have gravitationally pulled Oklahoma up, right? It didn't happen. And they're just like, nah, 10-2, and two, they're 12th. Let's keep them 12th. None of those guys played. We don't need to look at that. They were so – as you mentioned, they were so afraid of the backlash. They were so scared of the buildup and the blowback that was going to happen when they knew they had to leave somebody out, Florida State or, or Alabama. And they was just like, yeah, let's not worry about – 10, 11, 9, 10, 11, 12 right now. We'll we'll worry about these other guys. I asked our man, Boo, hey, what was the deal with Oklahoma? And his response was tepid and at best, included the words, and the season Ole Miss had. <laughs> Let's be honest.
1: Boo Corgan forgot that Oklahoma existed for 24 hours. He forgot that Penn yeah. State existed. He forgot that Ole Miss yeah. existed. They were laser focused on two decisions. Who is for liberty or smu and, yeah. and you can go back and forth on the who is for for me as uncomfortable as it makes me i think florida state's the fifth best team out of the of the five teams that are up there uh the thing that maybe because you're moving to 12 teams next year there is going to be no backlash right like all the the conference champions will make it an undefeated power five or power four or group of five conference champion, it is not going to get left out in the new system. Um, And so, yeah, well, (laughs) sorry, if it's, if it's a non-power four, I know this makes me an awful person in elitist. They're not going to win a national championship. I do not care. If, if SMU and Liberty are both undefeated and one of them gets left out, it wouldn't even be SMU if Tulane and Liberty are both undefeated and one of them get left out. Tough, you're not. Neither of you are winning the national championship either way. I'm sorry. Do you see what Alabama has on the field? Uh, th- that doesn't break my heart. But next year, an undefeated Florida State's not getting left out. Like the ACC champion, not getting left out by rule of how they set it up. So, yeah. um, it, it does bother me on one hand that Florida State did everything, but they're not one of the four best teams in the country without Jordan Travis.
0: Yeah, I'm not willing to go there in terms of projecting. I don't want to be on the committee and say, here's what I think is going to happen. I think Florida State's going to go into the semifinal game and get blown out by somebody, Michigan or or Alabama or Texas or whoever. That's not the committee's job. The committee's job is not to say, we think this is what's going to happen. They've told us for years, well, we don't project here at the college football playoff. They freaking projected the hell out of Florida state and said, well, that third string quarterback, yeah, but the third string quarterback is probably not going to play in the playoff. It's going to be the second string quarterback. So Jordan Travis changes the narrative for Florida state. Obviously I don't necessarily think that's the right thing to do. Uh, Here's my, here's my take on this, Ryan. See if you, see, if you agree with me, this is, this is a little bit out there. I think I cooked this up in a fever dream one night recently. (laughs) Uh, we all know you can't fight City Hall, and the college football playoff is City Hall. They are—they put the hammer down, and their word is final. And there's nothing anybody can do. Any legislators in the state of Florida are not going to be able to sue their way to the, to a, uh, a, a national championship for the Seminoles. Although the AP still hasn't offers its own national championship in the AP Top 25, right? The AP poll. The AP can say if Florida State were to beat Georgia right, in the Orange Bowl, and then one of those one-loss teams wins the national championship in the playoff, the AP can come out and say, Florida State, undefeated, 14-0, and 0. they're our national champs. And then they get to hang a banner. So it's not totally over. You got to take care of your end and hope uh, things work out on this other side. They don't have to do that. They just have to get,
1: like, number one in the Massey rating. That's what UCF did. Just one of the, like, like I, two are only recognized, but technically on the books, there's like six electors that, that you can claim.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, you don't want to hang a massive banner. Do you don't you don't want to do what Oklahoma State did and hang some optional banner that they that you had to pay for or something like that. Yeah, it's it probably better bad. to go to the playoff and get in trucked though. Anyway, here's well, maybe here's my uh, here's my hot take. Here's my fever dream take, um, and that is conference realignment, the transfer portal NIL have basically led us to this point that the college football playoff made the decision that they made. Right. I, I, I honestly, I'm a big bill Hancock guy. I I am majorly in bill Hancock's corner in terms of integrity and doing the right thing. Uh, and you know, he's the executive director. He's not the commissioner. He's not the, the spokesman or whatever. Um, I really don't think the committee would have done this move, leave out an undefeated conference champion in years past. But I go back to realignment, transfer portal, NIL. I believe the committee basically said, hey, the players are chasing the bag. The coaches have been chasing the bag. And we know that the teams, the conferences, the TV networks continue to chase the bag. We're going to chase the bag. We're going to go for a matchup that we believe will be, deliver the best TV ratings. Let's be honest. No one wants to see FSU get slaughtered in the semifinal because their third string quarterback is in there, right? People will turn that off. Advertisers will put out tons of money to to advertise in those spots and nobody's going to see them their ads because why? Because everybody's turned the game off because it's 48 to six, right? In the third quarter. Nobody wants that. So the best way for the college football playoff TV partners and their advertisers to maximize their dollars is to ban FSU and their backup quarterback. It's it's basically a case of that, the, the committee saying, well, everybody else is getting paid. We might as well get paid too. Not the committee, not the 13 people in that room. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the process. Let's make sure our advertisers get maximum exposure on their on their TV deals. The other thing is, I think the committee, the thirteen people in that room, I think they're a little afraid of Nick Saban, and I think they're terrified of the SEC. I think they're, this is a case of them worshiping at the altar of Nick Saban. Um, they're afraid of some kind of organized revolt if the SEC <laughs> didn't get in the playoff. Basically,
1: yeah, I I don't know if I go that far. I just here's where. We always had the argument like the most if if you're picking the most deserving teams, I think Florida State would have been in. But the fact that it's the four best teams, like I'm just Florida State's in their current state, not better than any of the four teams ranked above them. And so, I I think prior years aren't supposed to matter. If you're a college football fan, it is impossible for the for the legend of the SEC to have not seeped into your brain. Why? Because the SEC wins the playoff more than anybody else. Yeah, They do. And it's different teams. It's Alabama. Then it's Georgia. And then oh, the year that LSU gets in, it's maybe the most talented roster we've seen offensively in, in the history of the sport. Greg Sankey's right. It hits a little different in the SEC. It just does. Now, I don't necessarily agree with the, you can't have a college football playoff without the SEC, but I... I here's my thing. I don't think the committee got the four best teams either. Cause Georgia is one of the four best teams in the country for me.
0: See, then you get to you're crossing like, the wires there. You're crossing yeah. the wires. One's the best and the other one's most deserving. And you're taking one out and leaving. Yeah. The other one.
1: So like they didn't get the four most deserving teams for me. Cause that would have included Florida state. The four best teams for me, Alabama, Georgia, Texas, and Washington in some order. Sorry, Michigan. Play somebody, anybody, please. <laughs> Penn State sucks. They're awful. They're not a top whatever team. I'm sorry. You played one. You played one game this year. Ohio State. That was it. Play anybody, uh, and and you're more than welcome to participate in the playoff. Uh, so I think that's where it kind of got screwed up a, a couple of ways there. So it it was. Uh, but in the end, Florida State should have been left out, and here is why. Do you guys remember the Alliance? Yep, I do. Yep, because here's what happened: Jim Phillips, the commissioner of the Checks Notes ACC, talked to his schools and talked to his teams and came out with some BS when their initial college football expansion talks were happening. About well, I've talked to my guys and Dabo's worried about the academic calendar, but also we need to fix NIL and we need to fix the transfer portal, and then we can fix conference expansion. And so he said, I'm going to vote no, which meant the Alliance voted no, on the initial round of expansion that would have expanded it for this year and the next two years. A year later, he came back. Guess what's not fixed? The academic calendar. Guess what we haven't done a single thing for? NIL. Guess what's barely – we just had the record day of transfer portal entrance. But they all changed their damn votes and we have not expanded playoff the next two years. If Florida State wants to be mad at anybody, turn to your own commissioner because you would have been in and you would have been rolling. And instead, your commissioner, who was going to expand the playoff anyway, sat up there and was like, we can't do this. Everything's moving too fast. You fixed nothing in college football that he cited. Then you come back around and now the playoffs expanded. It's Jim Phillips' fault and Florida State should be left out. And if it was Clemson? Clemson should be left out if it's North Carolina they should be left out because it's the ACC's issue of why anyone's in this mess
0: for this season do you think that's a that's a case of the college football playoff committee kind of cracking their knuckles in the face of the ACC right there i i
1: i think that truthfully i just think that those 13 individuals got in a room and said who do we think the four best teams are oh my god florida State's gonna riot because we don't think they're one of the four best like i i truthfully believe it was that simple in the room yeah but we get to have the fun conversations and that's why a month ago uh, if you listen to the franchise morning show i brought this up i was like look guys this never happens. And I feel bad for the committee because this was like the the one year that you have five teams, right, that that should be – it's happened twice in the playoff era. The first year and the last year of the four-team playoff, we send our regards to TCU. Uh, but I was like, if 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 this happens, it should be Florida State that's left out because they're the idiots that put us in this mess. Not Florida State, the ACC. It's the ACC are the idiots that put us in this mess. And uh, I think that this is – It's weird. No one's yelling at Jim Phillips. He should be the one that catches the blow for all of this.
0: Great point. Um, Y'all, I got one thing to say. OU basketball is 8-0. They took down Providence last night with authority. Ryan was at the Lloyd Noble Center. Ryan, tell us what you saw.
1: Defense, man, this team is super athletic. They start out on the 12-0 run. Uh, Devin Carter immediately gets it all back, and and then it – turns into a really tight game, right? Uh, Providence takes their first lead at 40-39. to 39. John Hughley on the other end gets a huge offensive board, hits two free throws. Providence comes back, and you're thinking, oh, this is going to be back and forth, lead change the rest of the way. And then Oklahoma's depth flexed its muscles. You didn't get huge offensive nights off the bench from John Hughley, who ended up with six points, uh, Latre Darthard or, or Rivaldo Suarez. But what you did is you got great minutes from those guys. You got an awesome effort. From Sam Godwin and John Hughley, Oklahoma won the offensive rebounding battle 10-1. to So not only did they pull those down and convert those into 16-second chance points, how many times have we talked about they gave up a key offensive rebound late and it cost them a game against Texas, against Kansas? It's happened in fog twice now in two years for Porter Moser. That wasn't an issue. And instead, what you got was an Oklahoma team that put the clamps on defensively has a big 15 0 run and then gets to coast all the way home in front of a great tuesday night crowd students showed up the lower bowl really filled out uh for a tuesday 6 p.m tip off and suddenly now wh- what do you see if you follow a bunch of the national college football uh, basketball writers excuse me today goodman comes out hey yep. this team's for real you saw um john rothstein aggregate once again because he's a king at that shout out to rothstein uh this is the best Porter Moser team since his last Loyola team. You're going to have to shorten that to put that on a shirt, John. You're going to have to figure that one out. Uh, Seth Davis. shirt Davis.
0: Yeah, Seth Davis is another one that came out yeah. looking at Oklahoma this year. Um, they play uh, uh, Arkansas here in Tulsa on Saturday. I think we're going to be passing ships in the night on Saturday, I think. Yeah, it sounds like it. Uh, sounds like we got some uh, Brent Venables and football availability in Norman. Anyway, um, that's going to be telling, Ryan getting Arkansas uh, two years ago, they beat Arkansas last year. They got blown out by Arkansas. I'm not sure either one of those was telling, but maybe last year's was a little more, but uh, what do you think is uh, at eight? zero right now they've got to uh, North Carolina coming up on the schedule, the jump man. Um, and then conference play starts in a couple of weeks. Uh, what do you think is the, uh, the upside for this basketball team? I,
1: I think they're really good John. Like I I've been in the wait and see mode in the, we've seen, We've seen the transfer additions. It's going to be different this year. Uh, they look totally different this year. I think they're a legit top 20 team. I really do. Um, Arkansas is really athletic. They're going to test Oklahoma. Uh, Providence was really, really big and really well disciplined. Arkansas is really, really athletic. So I think the two ends of stuff that you see in the Big 12, Oklahoma will have seen this week. Uh, so I'm really fascinated. Arkansas obviously had the huge upset victory over Duke in the SEC-ACC Challenge couple weeks ago and that was without Arkansas's top scorer uh, so they're legit North Carolina top 10 opponent I, they shouldn't fall too far out of the top 10 after dropping a game to UConn last night that's in a couple weeks uh, I, I think they're a legit top 20 team now here's the issue and this is with the Big 12 um, if you're a top 20 team that means you're behind Kansas if you're only a top 20 team you're behind Houston you're behind Baylor Texas in the top 12. BYU, at a, no one knew what to do with BYU. Oklahoma and BYU were picked at 12 and 13 out of 14 in the Big 12 Conference. BYU is ranked 14th in the country and has the number one net as hmm. of last night. I don't know what BYU is at all, but if if the, if you're the top six, uh, top 20 team, you're fighting for fifth or sixth in the Big 12, which is just, a it's not a negative on Porter Moser. It's a statement on the Big 12. That'd be a huge step forward to be in that fight, but it also means you're for sure a tournament team and you're maybe pushing for a four or five seed in the tournament, which means you could win a game or two. It's not an unimpossible uphill climb to make the sweet 16, stuff like that. Tons and tons of basketball left to play. But right now they look like a team, John, that's not going to push for a regular season, big 12 title, but is not going to be in the bottom half of the standings. And I don't think it'll be by any means a seller dweller. They, they look like they're on that bottom the second top of the third tier in the big 12 conference which is a huge improvement from the last place team from a year ago
0: yeah i was gonna say 14 teams in the big 12 this year if they can finish top seven i think that's a great step for border moser in this this program
1: and it's a bunch of guys too mccollum can come back next year obviously ottega owen Uzon are just true sophomores i think jalen moore could come back next year if he wanted john Hughley could come back so like, it, it's It finally feels like, Hoove, it's not just that they are way more athletic and it looks different, holding Providence to just 20 points in the second half, but it's a group that maybe Porter can finally get that core of six, seven, eight guys that he can bring back and they can come back another year and go into the SEC and grow old together. I think that's the most exciting thing. See, Even if it gets a little rocky in Big 12 play and they they end up being – a top 40 team, but not really a top 25 team. I I think that it's, it's simultaneously a much more fun style of basketball and a a group of guys that could come back and and kind of be impact players next year too.
0: We said we weren't going to uh, talk too long, Ryan, but I think we did. Hour and 15 minutes. It happens. Sorry. Sorry to you. And sorry to Jim Phillips for, uh, (laughs) I think we had a lot of sorries in that uh, those two segments. We we got an issue of quite a few apologies after that one. Good stuff, man. Appreciate it as always.
1: Absolutely. Looking forward to see what Randall has on the recruiting front here next. Yep.
0: That should be good. This segment of the All Sooners podcast pre- presented by Infinite Asset Advisors. Go to infiniteassetadvisors.com to learn how you can get really debt-free and begin real retirement planning right now. Don't wait. Because whether it's retirement, private banking, family asset protection, estate planning, or living trusts, just let like Corey and his team take a look at your portfolio and get you on the way to taking control of your financial future. It's easy. Just call 512-710-0130 or email team at infiniteassetadvisors.com or just head over to their website find out more. InfiniteAssetAdvisors.com. Coming up next, Randall's going to jump in. We're going to hit recruiting and portal talk. You're not going to want to miss this. That's all next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise, and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. final segment of the all sooners podcast if you like the podcast go ahead and like us drop us a rating five stars
2: please
0: please uh like us and share us on social media and if you're watching on youtube like subscribe and leave a comment there all these things are welcome help get the podcast word out there spread it out grow all that good stuff and uh if our podcast is growing that means you guys that are listening get to grow along with it so we appreciate you being here uh, segment three is uh, is Randall's time to shine, you guys. Randall's got a, about a billion things to talk about, and we're going to try and do this in an expedient and orderly manner. But man, we got a lot to get to, including another commitment, Randall Owen Hollenbeck, offensive lineman from Melissa, Texas. You've seen him, you came away impressed,
2: yeah, and so. Uh, Owen Hollenbeck, teammate of Nigel Smith, who's a 2024 defensive line commit to OU, very coveted prospect. I think we talked about him ad nauseum on here a few months ago. Owen Hollenbeck, his teammate on the other side of the ball, goes against him in practice every day. And like I said before the podcast, this kid is nasty. He is physical. He looks like the type of player that Bill Bedenboe recruits. I think he's about six foot three, 200, or Two hundred ninety-five, three hundred pounds right now. So already a big kid as a junior in high school. And again, whenever I watched him uh, against, I think they're playing uh, Royce City. He, uh, I mean, he was pancaking guys. He was shoving them off the off the line. Again, super physical, not afraid to get nasty and mix it up. Just what you want to see from an offensive lineman. If you want a quick clip, uh, you can go to the commitment story that I wrote on allsooners.com. In that uh, in that story, there's a video that I posted on Twitter. when I saw him, uh, and you will see him put a guy right on his back. So, again, it's the typical Bill Biedenboe interior offensive lineman. After they missed out on Grant Bricks in the 2024 class, we said that they would go really hard into the transfer portal and into the 2025 class recruiting, especially interior offensive linemen. Uh, You know, they're losing some guys there this year. They'll lose some guys there again next year, so they're going to really need to build that depth up. And, again, Owen Hollenbeck is a big physical guy. He's nasty. He was uh, on campus when OU played TCU. Uh, so he got, got to take in the game day experience, and, and it seemed like he really liked that, obviously, committed you know a week later. Uh, and, and this is a guy who picked up his offer from uh, uh, the Brent Venables camp this summer. I saw him there. Uh, Bill Biedenboe identified him pretty early, and, and he was a guy who got an offer at the end of the day. Um, again, plenty of guys are uh, there pick up their offers at the end of the day, but the guy that they were really impressed with. I think they moved quickly, and they kept that relationship going with him. Um, but to pick up that offer in the summer and to commit before the season ends, I think that's a pretty good sign that uh, he likes what he sees in Norman. Uh,
0: I think on Three, twenty 7 and rivals all have him rated as a three-star. He's uh, According to the uh, industry uh, composite that On3 uses, he's number five. Hard to read these numbers sometimes. 66, something like that, 568, whatever that is. In the nation, overall prospects, so uh, he's probably more of a long-term guy. Probably not going to come in and play right away, but you know what? There's immediate openings. Anyway, I'm ahead of myself. He's a 2026. 20, he's not going to come in and play right away, obviously, because he's got another year of high school football yeah. after this year. Um, well, and you and you've seen him. You said he's nasty. He uh, he's a mauler. He's, um,
2: to, he's a Bill Beasley. To- yeah,
0: he, he he seems to be one of those guys who enjoys beating
2: somebody down and kind of rubbing their face in it a little bit which which is exactly what you want from an offense. that's what you want like like that's the i mean you hear that's bill biedenboe that's probably music to his ears and (laughs) and again we've seen bill biedenboe do this again with these guys that are lower recruits that's kind of his calling card right is taking these guys who are maybe not the high profile recruits and developing them into nfl players i mean ben powers drew samia those guys were not highly touted recruits coming out of high school Uh, And Ben Power has got a huge contract this offseason and is starting in the NFL right now. So, um, again, the ratings can change, but Bill Biedenboe, I feel like, is pretty good at identifying what he values in a player. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's it's really interesting. It feels like a lot of the... Bill Biedenboe recruits that haven't worked out are the really high-profile, high-star guys. I mean, you think the Savion Birds, the Bray Walkers. I mean, those are some of the highest recruits Bill Biedenboe's ever gotten to campus, and those are the guys that have transferred out without really ever doing much on campus. So I think that for Bill Biedenboe, the Oklahoma offensive line, more than rating, it's about identifying skills, personalities, and Playstyles styles that really fit with what they want to do. And I think that Owen Hollenbeck fits all the uh, checks, all those boxes for Bill Biedenbeau, for Brent Venables, for the rest of OU. And again, he got to be on campus when OU put 69 points down on TCU. I'm sure that uh, that persuaded him pretty, pretty good, especially seeing how, um, how packed the palace was even on Thanksgiving break, you know, just to, to be able to look at an offensive lineman and say, look, students, they're not even here right now. This is just fans. I now Imagine when the students come back, I think that, that, that probably weighed good on him. And again, Having a teammate, Nigel Smith, who's already committed to OU, who's already bought in, who we've talked to at All Sooners. He loves OU. He loves the soul mission. That's got to um, play a big factor into that, too, knowing that a high, highly recruited like member of your high school team already trusts the coaching staff and is already going to be there. That's someone you will already know. I think that goes a long way. And again, Melissa, Texas, just in the DFW area, not a far drive from Norman either. So easy to get back and forth.
0: Yep. Now, uh, that's, again, the member of the 2026 class. Sooners have nine commits in the 2026 class currently, and uh, that class currently ranks number nine according to uh, on three. I haven't looked at the others yet, but uh, number nine in the country, which is pretty good, but number five in the SEC, that's which is where he's going to be playing his whole career. So that's going to be fun to watch how these guys uh, evolve and transition. Randall, it's portal season, so let's get into the portal. You've got uh, names and numbers of a ton of dudes, including the most recent, uh, at least via social media announcements, as these guys come out and say, hey, so-and-so offered me, so-and-so offered me. Most recent is a running back out of UT Tennessee Martin, Samuel Franklin.
2: Yeah, so this is a guy who I think you put up 1,300 yards and 10 touchdowns this year for UT Martin. Uh, now, I'm not going to sit here and act like I watched a ton of UT Martin games, so I'm I am at the moment not uh, exactly super familiar. I can't go, go play for play, but again, productive guy, someone that OU would love to bring in to bolster that running back room after they lost three guys to the portal. I know that, again, OU fans have talked about it. Tawi Walker and Dalen Smothers and um, Marcus Major obviously were not the, number, the RB1. They weren't, you know, the... The main contributor. They're not like the future of the running back room at OU, but that's a lot of depth you're losing. And again, even though Gavin Sluchik had a really solid season, it's not like he proved far and away that he's one of the best running backs in the country. He's the feature of the offense. He's going to the NFL. I mean, adding another versatile back who can help um, maybe t- I don't want to say take some of the load off of, but, but split carries. You know, just OU's always been best at their best when they've got two backs in the backfield that they can trust and give the ball to. So I think that uh, you know, again, while they're adding some some talented backs in the 24 class, I think that bolstering the depth with a, with a more veteran running back who's been productive, who's proven it at the Division one level, uh, I think that that would be huge for them. I think that that's why they made that offer.
0: Yeah, and Bill Bidenbo has been busy. Tra- the coaches, here's the deal. They travel around the country at this time of year. You don't make the conference championship game, guess what? You get to start recruiting immediately. If you do make the conference championship, you're kind of a week behind in recruiting. But uh, these coaches have been flying around the country. They've been visiting guys literally all over the nation. Uh, And some of those guys are portal guys. Bill Biedenboe has been busy, man. Let's uh, let's start at the top. Um, Spencer Brown, Michigan State. He's one of two offensive linemen at Michigan State that it really looks like uh, all signs seem to indicate that Spencer Brown is going to be a Sooner or at least is very, very interested in becoming a Sooner.
2: Yeah, so another guy who got got that offer from OU out of the portal. Um, he, he to me, he's really similar in size and stature to to a lot of the Bill Bedenbaugh offensive linemen we've seen. These guys that are six five, six six. I mean, huge guys out there on the edge. That the Jacob Sextons, the Walter Rouse. I mean, Tyler Guyton kind of all in that same mold. Uh, I, I don't know exactly um, what Spencer Brown's weight is at right now, but again, a guy who's listed at six six, so he kind of fits that mold has starting experience for the Spartans. And again, when you're losing probably two guys who started to tackle this year and Tyler Guyton and Walter Rouse, uh, you'll need to replace some of that tackle depth. I mean, seemingly Jacob Sexton will slide in after he played pretty nice at the end of the year, but you'll still need depth behind those guys. Uh, and again, you'll be looking for another starting tackle. Um, and so I think Spencer Brown, if he does end up committing to OU, will come into Norman and challenge for that spot, if not take it. Uh, but I do think that, you're right, I think that, that OU is uh, probably the leader there right now, and it's, I would be surprised uh, if he ends up elsewhere. 6'6", six, 3'15", six, uh,
0: has started. He's a he's a grad senior, fifth-year senior, um, grad transfer, I should say. Uh, he's on the senior bowl watch list, and yet he's going into the portal. So uh, he's a guy that's got a lot of experience, has played some really good football.
2: And you know who uh, that's exactly And like. he's
0: from Michigan, which if you look at Oklahoma's roster, they've got a handful of guys from Michigan now.
2: They do. And, they, and they've been recruiting up there a little more now, too. And, yeah. and, and, you know, you mentioned the senior bowl watch list, 6'6", 315, a veteran player with starting experience. Who does that sound like? That sounds just like Walter Rouse, right? Yeah. Walter Rouse is what, 6'6", 320, 325, yeah. 330, somewhere around there. He was a senior bowl watch list guy, a guy who probably could have got drafted if he just left Stanford and gone to the draft, but maybe not gotten drafted as highly as he wanted, right? And so, so Spencer Brown might be in that same boat where he's a guy who – who heard his draft grade, and you know, maybe he didn't like where he got drafted. and He wanted it to go get developed by a coach like Bill Bedenbaugh, who, again, we talked about, has that track record of putting players in the NFL, especially at the tackle position. So, I think that uh, I think that Spencer Brown. I think there's a good chance that OU uh, OU is able to land him. But again, nothing nothing is for certain yet. Sure.
0: Yeah, it's the portal. We don't know, right? We just we're, we're throwing some names out there because they're fun to talk about, fun to speculate on, uh, including Spencer Brown's teammate Gino Vandemark.
2: Yeah, and and so. I mean, with, with Michigan State going through all that they did this year, you know, losing the coach midseason, now they've got a new guy coming in. That all, always brings a big, um, I don't want to use, I feel like the word exodus is used too much, but a big, big shift in the roster, right? When you bring a new head coach in and different philosophy, things like that. And so so Gino Vandermark, I think, is an interior offensive lineman who, again, we mentioned OU's losing McCade Matoy or OU's losing... Uh, Caleb Schaefer, OU's losing Nate Anderson. There's a good chance OU loses Andrew Rame. And so when you lose, I mean, that's four or five interior offensive linemen that are on the two deep, right? And so when you're losing those guys, you need to replace the depth. Even if Gino Vandemark doesn't come in and take that starting spot, having a guy like we saw Caleb Schaefer this year who can step in, who can give you good snaps and key moments if you need it. That's really, really important, especially, I mean, offensive linemen, they go down all the time. You know, you have to shift guys in and out, stuff like that. And so having, another, again, another guy with some some experience playing college football in the Big Ten, uh, I think that would be really helpful for their depth along the interior offensive line.
0: Yeah, um, uh, we're going to do our best on this name. Fevechi Noewu, North Texas, is a guy offensive lineman that Bill Bedenboe likes.
2: Yes. Uh, so again, this is this is um, one of the athletic Bill Bedenbaugh offensive line molds, and the and the interesting thing there is that that he's got two years of eligibility remaining. So he comes into Norman and and he lights the world on fire in year one. That's great, and you might even get him for another year. So uh, that could be a guy who gets to play two years in the SEC. It is a big step up in competition going from North Texas to uh, the SEC. But we we've seen guys make those those le- leaps before. I don't think that that's anything people need to be too worried about. But again, one of the more, um, again, I feel like I keep talking about Bill Bedenboe's style, what he likes, right? And he's got different types, but I feel like this is one of the athletic offensive line he likes, the guys who can get to the second level things like that. Uh, kind of watching some of the film there reminds me a little of what I saw from Eugene Brooks when I watched his film over the summer, the 2024 offensive line commit, who's going to be playing in the uh, All-American game out in Orlando, Florida in January. So I um, I think that again he kind of fits that beaten bow mold of a guy who is nasty. He'll get up to the second level. He'll put some linebackers on their back stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I was just looking up Vandermark's um, Vandemark's statistics at um, Michigan State. Uh, he's I believe he started every game this year, unless I'm re- unless I'm reading this wrong. Anyway, um, we move on because uh, there's some other offensive linemen. These are guys those were guys I should say that have offers that we know have offers, or at least have come out on social media and said, Oh, you offered me. Um, there's a couple that are, that haven't announced that they've received an offer yet. We don't know if they have or haven't uh, at this stage. We're hearing some things, but uh, the ones at Florida and ones at Harvard.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, so Jalen Farmer, we'll start with him, the the Florida interior offensive lineman. He's a, um... Huge, <laughs> just simply. He's, it reminds me of Caleb Schaefer a little bit in that uh, you know, usually the interior offensive linemen are wider, not as tall. Jalen Farmer is 6'5", 330 pounds. So this is a huge, huge player. Played in the SEC. So a three-, four-star recruit, depending on where you look. But he's heard from Oklahoma. He's heard from Texas A&M. Uh, this is a guy who, again, I think he fills a similar role, whereas Vandermark might be a guy who comes in and patches where M- McCade Matoyer started uh, or something like that um, you know, that, that right guard spot, uh, farmer might be a guy, I think he's got more years of eligibility than, uh, than just one like Vandermark who comes in and he's able to sit and be a depth piece if you need him. And then maybe the next year he takes a leap or, you know, maybe he's always a depth piece, but again, like I mentioned with Caleb Schaefer, those guys are important to have. Um, and so I think that if maybe if OU is not able to land Vandermark, they kind of pivot to farmer. But I I think that, um, I think again, farmer would be uh, a good depth piece, He's played in the SEC, a big guy, a guy that Bill Bedenboe identified. identified. So. And then you mentioned Harvard, Thor Griffith, a six foot two, three 320-pound defensive lineman, plays on the interior defensive line. Uh, if you look at it, I don't have his stats on me right now, but if you look at his stats, they're pretty impressive for, for last year. The Ivy League, those guys were playing some football this year. There's a, there are a few Harvard guys that I know he's uh, interested in. But Thor Griffith, uh, from what I understand, there's a visit – uh, in the works, I don't necessarily know if there's a date set or if that's planned or not, but I, I from what I understand, there is a visit in the works. Uh, I know that he'll probably visit some other campuses too. This is a, Thor Griffith is going to be one of the most sought-after players in the transfer portal this cycle, I think. Uh, again, got the size, ultra-productive at Harvard. That's a guy that people are going to want. Um, so I, th- I think that, uh, I, again, OU's going to be in on, on him. They're, missing, they're losing a lot of defensive linemen, whether it's to the transfer portal, whether it's to graduation. Uh, whatever the case may be, they're going to need to replace some of that depth. And I think that Thor Griffith is, I mean, who they would hope to get. Now, there's another Ivy League defensive lineman, actually, who's kind of in the same mold from uh, University of Pennsylvania. His name is Joey Slackman. So another guy who's who's uh, really stocky, really big, physical guy up in the interior, put up good numbers this year. Another guy that I think OU – uh might try their hand at, but I, the, the name to really to watch there is Thor Griffith from Harvard. His name when he gets to
0: Norman and they start making him wear suits to the game every day is Joey Slacks.
2: <laughs> that would be – that sounds like a nickname from a mob movie, honestly. Yes, exactly. He's he's
0: from that area. He's from yeah. Penn, so there you go. Yeah. Um, let's stay on the defensive line. Uh, a couple of guys, again, these are, these are in the category of haven't announced on Twitter or anywhere else that OU offered me or anything, but they're in the portal and OU is interested in them. We know this because OU coaches, including Brent Venables and Todd Bates, have been interested in them in the past when they were at Clemson. We're talking about Walter Nolan and Lebius Overton, LT Overton, at both at Texas A&M, are in the portal. There may be more guys jumping in the portal. We expect more A&M guys jumping in the portal, guys who were recruited heavily by OU, guys who were recruited heavily by Brent Venables and his staff. So let's start there. Walter Nolan.
2: Yeah. So Walter Nolan, I mean, one of the top players in America coming out of high school, I think he was maybe the number one overall recruit. uh, Yeah. Number one,
0: number two is the rankings I saw this morning.
2: Yeah. So again, phenomenally talented prospect. And uh, this is a guy that I, while OU wasn't close on, I think Brent Venables at Clemson had a really good relationship with Walter Nolan. And so, so that, that I think will be a huge factor for OU right now. And if you can land a player of that caliber heading into the SEC, that's gonna be, I mean, huge for your program. I and mean, that that is the definition of a program changing player. We talked about that with David Stone in this year's class, and David Stone is absolutely that. Well, this is the number one player in America that that OU has a chance to get. And not only is he was he the number one player in America coming out of high school, he's got SEC experience. He's been in college for a year, for two years, whatever. And so that I mean that adds to it even more. And I think that while OU is gonna be one of probably every school around the country that's trying to get Walter Nolan, I do think that there's there's a real chance there because OU can say, look at, what, look at the improvement we made from year one to year two. We did that without having a truly dominant player up front like you. Now, if you get into the mix, one, there's a clear path of playing time given everybody that's leaving. Two, you could be the most talented player. You could be the star of that defensive front. And as we head into the SEC, you could be the player that really turns the image of Oklahoma's defense around. The, that I, feel, I mean, we feel like with what we saw this season, that turnaround's already started a little bit. But with a player like that, you can really paint the picture as you can be the key to that turnaround. And, and again, a five-star recruit, it's going to be tough. There's going to be plenty of takers. But I think that Brent Venables, being the recruiter he is, and um, that past relationship recruiting him so heavily at Clemson, I think that that's – that's going to be pretty important in the Walter Nolan sweepstakes. Now, you mentioned LT Overton. That's a guy I think that OU actually has a much better chance with, another five-star defensive lineman coming out of high school. He was a guy who uh, heavily considered Oklahoma when he was coming out of high school. He was recruited by Todd Bates at Clemson and then also at Oklahoma when kind of in that transition when the staff changed. And so, uh, again, built a really, really good relationship with Bates who's uh, you know, a staple of OU's coaching staff. He's been on the, on the road. He's been, I saw he was at a Payto high school yesterday, two days ago. Um, and if for anyone watching this, who's not sure the significance of Paytow high school, uh, look at Texas A&M's defensive line room, see where a few of those guys went and then get back to me. Um, uh, and then you'll, maybe you'll understand why Todd Bates was there. But, uh, again, I think that, um, Bates having that relationship with Overton, Overton liking OU so much already coming out of high school, it kind of makes it, I don't want to say a no brainer because, again, this is a five star prospect that's played in the SEC. Tons of teams all across the country are going to want to get their hands on yep. him. But the, the relationship with Todd Bates, and as much as he liked OU coming out of high school, I think OU's got a real shot uh, in that LT Overton sweepstakes. And again, like you mentioned, there's a few other Texas AM defensive linemen that we are mm-hmm. keeping our eyes on at all sooners.
0: Um, it, it, and it's true too, that, uh, let's just throw the name out there, David Hicks. He's not in the portal or at least hasn't been announced in the portal yet. David Hicks, his dad is on the staff there at Paytel, right?
2: Right. And that's who, uh, who Todd Bates was actually pictured with in that, in the, in the post that, that hit social media. So, Again, that could mean absolutely nothing. Like you said, Hicks isn't even in the portal, but I think we would be naive to say that it doesn't mean nothing, given that Texas A&M's defensive line coach, who recruited all these big five-star prospects to Texas A&M, just left to go be the defensive coordinator at Syracuse. And while we're on the topic of Texas A&M, I'm not sure if you saw what Evan Stewart, I think it was, posted, saying that everyone thinks we're millionaires, but all the money that we got promised, we ain't seen a dollar of it yet. And he, he was another, I can't remember who, another player piggybacked on top of that saying he's not lying. So seems like <laughs> there's, there's a little bit of a rift going on there at Texas A&M. Um, we've seen a lot of players into the transfer portal. Raymond Cottrell is a receiver from A&M who's, who hit the portal early. He said he's heard from OU too. Uh, we'll get keep that one off topic because I, I know he's visiting Ken, Kentucky. I don't know how involved OU will be there. But, again, the point being that, These A&M guys, a lot of them are going to want out. They already have. don't think that that's going to slow down. Um, We'll see if if David Hicks is one of those guys, but uh, there's definitely a chance.
0: Lose your head coach, lose your position coach, uh, new culture coming in, haven't gotten paid like you were promised. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of – I think we can use the word exodus on Texas A&M. I think Texas- uh, another one to, to keep an eye on uh, again, not in the portal officially hasn't announced anything officially, but another one to keep an eye on whether it's this year, next year, whenever Gabriel Brownlow low dindy, um, big defensive tackle, really liked OU coming out of high school, loved OU coming out of high school. Uh, went to Texas AM. and uh, Randall, I've looked up all these guys' statistics, all four of them played for the Aggies this year. Um, If my computer would be kind to me and stop bouncing around, I could read their names. Walter Nolan played in 12 games, eight and a half tackles for loss, four quarterback sacks. Uh, LT Overton, 12 games, 17 total tackles, no tackles for loss. Um, Hicks played in 10 games, 11 total tackles, two tackles for loss, one sack. And then Gabriel Brownlow Dindy played in four games, half a sack, half a tackle for loss. So, Guys who are young in their career, guys who are experienced as well, guys who are getting on the field at Texas A&M and making contributions. In the SEC. In the SEC. Um, I think Oklahoma would do well with any of them. You know what I mean? With I, with okay. what we've seen out of the OU interior defensive line in the last two years, sticking the, these kind of recruits, these kind of five-star and four-star, high four-star guys into the defensive line at Oklahoma would completely change uh, a lot of what Todd Bates and Brent Venables are trying to do.
2: Totally, and and that's what you need when you're heading into the SEC. You really need to control the trenches, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, in the SEC, that cannot be un- overstated enough, how much you need to control the trenches. And, again, Isaiah Coe, he had a really solid year. Jordan Kelly, solid year. But these guys are, I mean, three-star, six-year players, right? And and they, they did great work for OU, but imagine if – Brent Venables, Todd Bates was able to get that production out of those guys, what he could do with the athletic freaks, that Brown Dindy, that David Hicks, that Walter Nolan, that LT Overton, the athletic traits that those guys possess, if they're able to get developed by a coaching staff like Bates, like Venables, like Shaves, all those guys, I mean, that would be huge for OU. And again, like you mentioned, uh, OU's losing a lot on the interior. Those guys would be, I mean, it's hard to say that a five, sliding a five-star defensive lineman who's not a not a true freshman who's played in the sec before uh again I, I can't think of a better situation for ou than that and again that might be one of the areas that they need the most with you know they might lose dijon terry but they're definitely losing Rondell bothroyd you're definitely losing um isaiah Coe. you're definitely losing jordan kelly uh reggie grimes is already in the portal uh, and that's just a few of the names. There's going to be more that that are either in the portal or are out of eligibility. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that again, OU is going to try really hard for all those A and M defensive linemen. Again, only two in the portal now. I think OU is going to do everything they can to get those guys, but not going to be easy. Everyone wants, five,
0: Everyone star wants them. five star defensive linemen. Don't grow on trees. Um, did, we mentioned Chris McClellan, right? Florida. Not yet, no. Uh, no, we haven't? Okay, so he's a guy that was among his recruits. You looked it up right before we got going. Among the guys who offered him was uh, Jay Valai when mm-hmm. Jay was at Alabama, you said.
2: Yep, and so, so Jay Valai started as his primary recruiter at Alabama. Now Jay Valai back uh, – well, not back, but in Norman. Uh, and Chris McClellan seemingly uh, – he in his decommitment from Florida, he, he specifically said, thank you for taking a kid from Oklahoma. Yeah, also uh, kid. right? Also Owasso, Owasso High School. Yep, um, and so uh, shout out to former All Sooners, uh, Owasso Ram himself, Josh Calloway. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, Owasso native, this was a four-star recruit coming out of high school. Chris McClone was a big-time defensive lineman. I think that OU is going to have a really, really good chance there, um, and, and it'll be interesting to see. It sounds like maybe he got a little homesick at Florida, was pretty far. Uh, from home. But uh, again, a big time recruit, everybody wanted out of high school, had the Alabama offer, uh, offers from plenty of other places. And uh, with Jay at OU, you will see if that relationship has, if they've maintained a good relationship there. Uh, I think that, uh, again, I think OU's got a really, really good shot with him, especially, again, what we saw with their defensive line improvement this year from last year to this year, and him just being a kid from Oklahoma. Brent Venables and company have really started to Put their footprint on the state of Oklahoma, saying like this is we dominate recruiting here. So (laughs) uh, we'll see how that uh, plays out with him
0: Jay Vella is one of those guys that's going to put his arm around a guy and say, "Now listen, here's my phone number. Don't delete it." Yeah, yeah. I might be. I might be. We might need to contact each other in a couple of years. So I can totally see that out of him. He's got that kind of personality. Um, Staying on the defensive side of the ball, defensive backs uh, are going to be the Oklahoma's already surprisingly lost one in key Lawrence, but, uh, surprisingly to me, I think, I thought, I thought he was coming back, but, uh, they've got a couple that they've got their eyes on. got a couple that they've offered in the portal.
2: Yeah. So, so Malone is defensive back from San Diego state. He picked up an offer from the Sooners. I think they were actually out in the California area visiting him. Um, and so, so again, I, uh, I think that that there's a good chance that he is pretty interested in Oklahoma, um, but again, that's, that's going to be a position of need. They're going to need to fill that defensive back spot, and even even the guys that they aren't losing to graduation, to the portal, to the NFL draft, whatever it may be. Um, I think that you'd still like some extra depth there. Not that those guys were terrible this season, but there was definitely some moments where you can they, the defensive the, the back the back end of the defense needed improvements, especially when Gentry Williams was out at that corner spot. Uh, But you you think, I mean, Woody Washington might be going to the NFL draft. You've already lost Key Lawrence. Billy Bowman might be going to the NFL draft. And you're going to need some guys, some veterans, to step in there and fill those roles, especially heading into the SEC. Um, And so Dejan Malone is one of those guys who's already picked up an offer. Uh, San Diego State, transfer defensive back. And an interesting one to me is Tegan Wilk. He's a safety from Eastern Carolina. Um, But he's he's, uh, heard from a lot of schools, actually, since entering the portal. And Oklahoma is one of them. Um, so we know that Oklahoma is at least involved. I don't know if there's been an offer extended that was not made clear, but he uh, he has heard from the Sooners, and so I think that that'll be um, another transfer portal defensive back to keep an eye on for Sooners fans.
0: You know, uh, I think we could finish up with, um, with the offense, going back to the offensive side of the ball, uh, one that a lot of people around here are very interested in, and that is uh, Jalen Conyers. You might remember that name. He played for Oklahoma in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, and then before he transferred out. I think he was here in twenty one. Uh, did not play in twenty. Uh, did not play in twenty twenty. Let's see his career stats. Yeah, no, no stats available. Um, but his time at, uh, especially his twenty twenty three season as a tight end, H back, Braden, uh, Braden Willis type player at Arizona State. Get this: five of six passing the football. They let him throw the football five times or six times. He completed he five.
2: He did play quarterback in high school, I'll say.
0: Yep, he did at Groover, yep. Uh, 22 carries for 92 yards. So I, I'm assuming he did a little wildcat-type work or yeah. maybe H-back-type work. I, I haven't seen his body of work, but 39-yard run and among his uh, among his rushing statistics. And then he caught 30 passes for 362 yards, no touchdowns this year, but he had five touchdowns last year when he had a career-high 38 catches for 422 yards, Jalen Conyers is a potential do it all kind of um, Jack of all trades in the Braden Willis mold again. And uh, frankly, he's somebody that Oklahoma needs. That position is somebody Oklahoma needs and whether it's Jalen Conyers or somebody else, I think he would be very interested in coming back to Oklahoma.
2: So uh, I'll pull behind the curtain. Jalen Conyers is from West Texas. So a guy that I'm very familiar with myself I've been following Jalen Conyers since he was in high school, hurtling over guys as a quarterback. Right, um, super athletic. And if you watch, if again, you mentioned the, the stats at Arizona State this year, which was pretty solid for a tight end on a team that was not very successful. But if you, he's listed at 6'4", 270. Definitely not two hundred and seventy pounds. I believe six four, but definitely not two hundred and seventy pounds. <laughs>
0: that seems pretty thick. Yeah. But
2: that's that's on the official Arizona State website. Well, maybe I'll need to get another look. But when he was at OU, he was definitely not 270. No. Um, anyway, uh, a guy who if you watch him and you watch the games, he's actually got some elusiveness when they would give him the ball. They'd run like some tunnel screens and stuff for him, uh, which is, again, that, I mean, that's you love to see that for a guy that's a tight end. I mean, can you imagine running a tunnel screen to Austin Stogner? I cannot. <laughs> um, and so, so, you know, to kind of have a tight end who's got that versatility, to be able to do stuff like that, to be able to, again, you mentioned it split out and, you know, play the H back, whether it's or play a tight end, a true Braden Willis role playing wildcat quarterback. Um, anyway, yeah, I think that I know that OU has met with him in person already. I think that happened yesterday. But I know that that I know that for a fact. Uh, and uh, I think that there's a visit planned to Norman. Um, I think that uh, OU is again, a lot of these top transfer portal targets, a lot of the teams are across the country are going to be going after these guys uh jalen conyers we mentioned he's from west texas He's from groover i think he's also got a visit set up to texas tech which um i, I mean i know texas tech didn't have the same success this year though you did texas tech didn't have the same success this year that they wanted but that's the local school for him right it's an hour an hour and a half away from groover so that there's all that local poll is always going to be there he's also got a visit set up to georgia so i mean that's the defending back-to-back national champs uh, it's gonna be—they're gonna be hard to beat out. But OU won that Jalen Conyers recruitment once. Groover's not that far from Norman, so he's not getting too far from home. I think that there's a very, very OU's got a very, very good chance with Jalen Conyers. Nothing decided yet. Obviously, he's gonna take his visits and and see what he likes. But I, I do think that OU's gonna be heavily involved, and I think that they're gonna have a really good shot to bring him back on campus. And like you mentioned, even with Devon Mitchell coming in, you need that guy because Devon Mitchell is an early enrollee. Heading into his true freshman season in the SDC, you cannot count on that guy, especially at the beginning of the season, to be your number one tight end to take all those snaps to do all that. Uh, but Jalen Conyers, who's a veteran, you can expect—I mean—that from him, and that that'll really, I think, help Devon Mitchell uh, getting a player like Jalen Conyers would really, I think, help Devon Mitchell grow into be able to like get the snaps and the reps he needs to to grow into that that tight end that OU wants him to be, but also not be relied upon too much as a freshman uh, and. Uh, it's, I think it's important to mention, too, Jalen Conyers had the option to go to the NFL. He was on the senior bowl watch list ahead of the season uh, and, again, showed his versatility. So I think that, that he's definitely a talented guy that uh, OU would really love to have.
0: Yeah, I was just uh, looking up his uh, additional stats here. In uh, 20 – coming out of high school, I should say, he, ESPN ranked him as the number two tight end in the country. Uh, he had LSU, Alabama, Georgia, I think, were among his offers, and he chose Oklahoma. So,
2: Yeah. I think Texas was, was one that he really liked coming out of high school, too. They're kind of set at the tight end position, so I don't think they're going to be going after him. But like you mentioned, offers from all over. This is a, I mean, a big-time guy, good athlete at the tight end position.
0: Yeah. Um, looking up some more stats here, don't have anything new there. Braden Willis had a bunch of catches in uh, 2021. Uh, Conyers, I don't know if it was a health situation or he just couldn't get on the field, but um, whatever it was, anyway, we're, uh that's that's someone that I think Oklahoma would be extremely interested in, and I, it sounds like he's considering a p- potential return. So we'll see. I,
2: I, I think that I th- I think you're totally right. And how hilarious would it be for OU to get returning tight ends from the Lincoln Riley era in back-to-back <laughs> years? Oh, Stogner, uh, Conyers, why don't you come on back? Yeah, come on back. That's kind of funny. Uh, under. Yeah, under a new coach. Yeah. I definitely <laughs> think that Conyers would have uh, more of an impact than um, Stagner did this year. And I know Stogner was blocking a lot on the field, and he was involved in that stuff a lot. But I think Conyers would be more impactful, especially in the passing game.
0: All right. I think we killed it on the portal stuff. Let's talk about recruiting in a tr- more traditional sense, Randall. Um, things are turning back, swinging back Oklahoma's way. When it comes to one of their priority offensive line recruits in the twenty twenty four class, Eddie Pierre Louis, suddenly everybody's like, "Hey, wait a minute! He could be back with Oklahoma after." Sounded like he kind of removed OU from his uh, from his finalist list, but now they're back. What's going on there?
2: Yeah, I I don't know exactly what went down there in the middle of that. It seems like kind of um, both sides. I don't want to say both sides lost interest, but maybe maybe may um, I think they both sides thought they were going in different directions at one point. Um, Grant Bricks ended up committing to Nebraska and I think that OU now is thinking well, we really need to, to beef up our interior offensive line not that, I don't want to I don't want to make it sound like Eddie Pierre-Louis is a second option because he's one of the top rated interior yeah. offensive linemen in the country I just mean to say that I think that Grant Bricks not being in Norman definitely opened a spot that Eddie Pierre-Louis saw and thought I, I, may, I could take advantage of that and again, nothing's set in stone yet he announced his commitment date will be December 15th Uh, And he he did announce his top four. I think that uh, UCF, I think Texas A&M is also in the mix there. So uh, the battle is not won yet for OU per se, but I do think that I do think that on December 15th, uh, Eddie Pierre-Louis will end up choosing Oklahoma if I had to uh, predict. And again, talented interior offensive lineman. OU's got four offensive linemen committed in the 2024 class right now. So they really need to get that fifth one. Uh, especially to like i feel like i mentioned a million times to really beef up that depth next season because while these five freshmen probably won't see the field next year it's good it's important to have them on campus because you'll need the depth and the next year you'll need the depth i mean you're always going to need depth along the offensive line and so getting guys in that bill beatenbo likes that he uh hasn't like will build up uh, throughout their time there that's gonna be really important and pierre louis is a really good athlete i mean if you go to his twitter page he's got a pinned video of him running a hundred meters in track uh and again this is a guy who's like 320 pounds so him running the 100 at the pace he does, again, he's not winning, but he's doing, he looks pretty good doing it. Uh, most 320-pound people don't move like that. And uh, so, again, that that really reminds me of a Bill Beatenbill guy, a guy who will maul his guy and then throw him away and run up and kill the linebacker on the second level, right? Uh, or who, who can lead up and, and through the hole on that GT counterplay, whatever, whatever. The polar, whatever the situation is, I think he's really mobile, a uh, big guy. Uh, it's really interesting to me. Um, I don't know how recruiting services rate uh, every player, but if you look, he's probably one of the um, most polarizing uh, rankings I've seen mm. because some, some rankings have him as a low four-star, where others have him as the number two interior offensive lineman in the nation and one of the top 30 players in the country. Yeah. So uh, I guess it really depends on who you trust more there. But regardless, I think if Bill Biedenboe identified him as a player that he wants, I think that OU fans should trust Bill Biedenboe. He's uh, committing
0: again, on December fifteenth.
2: Yes. Okay.
0: That that'll be uh, keep keep an eye out for that. Nine days away. Um,
2: I I, and again, I, I do think that OU will end up being the winner in that
0: recruitment. Okay. And to it's it's probably a good blanket statement to say that offensive lineman's probably not going to play as a true freshman. But I think a lot of people thought that about Caden Green this year as well. Caden Green probably yep. didn't think that, but now OU goes into this offseason and they've been pumping it out there promoting it um they have played more freshmen more freshmen have gotten more starts and more snaps than any other team on their two deep than any other team in the top 25 I believe it was ranked in the top 25 so OU's not afraid to play freshmen even if it is on the offensive line
2: and I know Jacob Sexton wasn't a true freshman but he was only in his second year with the program and was yeah. actually able to take over a starting role after coming back from a knee injury. So, uh, I know again, that's that's player specific with those guys being so talented Sexton and Green, but still, the your point is absolutely true with with all that OU's losing on the offensive line, there's nothing to say that a player that talented couldn't come in and uh, work his way into maybe not necessarily into the starting lineup, but at least onto the field. One thing that that uh, about uh, Eddie Pierre Louis, he goes to the same high school that Lewis Carter went to, Tampa Catholic, uh, and that prevents him from enrolling early. Uh, they have to finish out their year. Uh, I don't know if that's um, at all Catholic schools or if that's just a Tampa Catholic. I'm not um, not not very privy to that, but I do know that that rule applies, and so he will have to finish out his high school year there before he comes to uh, Norman in the summer if he does end up coming to OU.
0: Real quick, uh, oh, you got a land, landed in the top eight of a twenty twenty five prospect. You just told me,
2: yeah. Um, and so Tyler Thomas, Dickinson, Texas. Uh, he was a guy who picked up his offer. Another guy who picked up his offer at the Brent Venables camp. Now, there's again top eight. They've got a uh, they've got some work to do because Texas, Alabama, those other big name schools are all in that top eight. So it's not like it's a foregone conclusion. But um, again, with the way Bill Beatenbo works, I think that. Um, that they're definitely going to be in the mix for him down to the wire. Um, again, talented prospect. Was at the Brent Venables camp this summer, so we know that there's already some interest, mutual yeah. interest there. Uh, I, think that, I think that as the 2025 class gets closer, that's another guy that oh, OU will be in the mix for. But, again, it's a long way to go.
0: Yep. Uh, let's talk some high school football. First of all, oh, my God, I feel so bad for Andy Bass. God, I heard that, and I just was, like, sick.
2: Yeah, it, Um
0: they're, they're Swiss Army knife, super fast, strong kid, jack of all trades. Can play short yardage quarterback, coming in as a running back, might play slot receiver. Who knows? Kick returner? Or or who knows?
2: Everything.
0: is ACL in the championship game last week. You were there. Tell us about it.
2: Yeah, I mean, so first off, I just want to say I hopefully that Andy Bass has a speedy recovery. He's a phenomenal young man. I mean, I <laughs> it feels weird saying that because I know I'm not that old, but. Again, he's a great kid. Uh, he's super nice, very courteous, very uh, self-aware. Uh, can't say enough good things about him. He's been great to us at All Sooners. And so I'm really wishing him the best, wishing him a speedy recovery. He was dominating the first half of that game. He had four touchdowns in the first half. If I mean, really, could have had five. One of them got, uh, got ruled down at the one, and then he just scored the next play. So no big deal. But um, – I mean, he was, like you said, doing everything, running away from guy. I mean, the first drive of the game, he had the 49-yard run where he just broke through a few tackles and then just outran everyone else to the end zone. A State champion in track running a 10-5, that's a, another thing that really, really sucks about this for him is that they probably won't be able to defend that state championship in track now either. Um, they, they weren't able to – They were. I am going to assume that Heritage Hall would have won the state championship in football had he not gotten hurt the yeah. way he was getting that first half. I think, he, I think his stats I, – I don't have them right in front of me. I, I do have them, but it's not right in front of me. His stats in the first half were something like 160 rushing yards, three rushing touchdowns, 120 passing yards, and a passing touchdown on like nine of 12 or something like that. So great, great, like you said, jack of all trades, uh, super versatile. I think that he's actually a guy who with before the knee injury could have gotten on the field as a freshman. I don't know yeah. what capacity, but I think that – as athletic as he i mean we saw gavin freeman get on the field as a freshman and guess what andy bass is faster everyone talks about how fast gavin freeman was gavin freeman ran a 10.81 in the 100 in high school which is great that's very fast andy bass is already 200 pounds and he ran a 10.5 last year this is a guy with very very good speed for his size i think that whether it's like you said as a kick returner as a slot receiver running back even a short yardage goal line specialty quarterback i think that andy bass would have earned some reps on the field next year really sucks for him I, uh, I really hope that he's able to make a full recovery because I think that sooner he's a guy sooner nation would have really loved uh, to see
0: yeah and he's he's close he's nearby I don't know you said he's not enrolling early or his plan originally wasn't to enroll early because he was going to run track but maybe that can change maybe he can get on campus and start that rehab process a little sooner uh, either way he's going to be near he's going to have immediate access to the, uh, the OU medical team and the rehab specialists. So hopefully everything goes well for him. And I'm, by well, I mean, within 9, 10, 11 months, he's back
2: at a hundred percent, like we've seen some
0: guys be able to do it. So that's, that's my hope for him.
2: I do also want to, real quick, I just want to mention, he told us in an interview before that his dad was a Marine and that's where he kind of gets his work yeah. ethic from. Yeah. So I would imagine that while this is definitely a setback, he's not going to let it stop him, and he's going to do everything he can to get back to
0: 100%. Kevin Sperry and his merry band of uh, Carl Albert Titans won another state championship. For Sperry, um, he comes from, was it Rock Hill? And they weren't winning losing-wise last year. They weren't very good. He comes to Oklahoma and wins a state championship in his first year.
2: Goes from 3-7 and seven to un- undefeated state championship in year one. That's pretty good. Yeah, uh, yeah they, they beat Del City, which again I, I thought that, that would honestly be a better game. No disrespect to Del City, but I think the final score was 35-14. Del City made it really close early. They've got some phenomenal prospects on, that, on their sideline too. Rodney Fields, Ladanian Fields, those are both going to be power five guys. I mean, Rodney Fields is committed to OSU, Ladanian Fields to TCU. And you can see why. Early on, those guys were putting on a show. But as the game went on, Carl Albert really settled in and just kind of took them to the woodshed. I mean, Kevin Sperry looked really comfortable. Uh, he hit – he threw two touchdowns and ran for a touchdown. Uh, ironically, or maybe not so ironically, both of the touchdowns he threw were completed to OU commits. Uh, one was, I think, a 45, about 45 yarder to Xavier Robinson, uh, who's the OU 2024 running back commit. The other one was uh, probably similar, actually. 40, 35 yards to Marcus James, who's a linebacker commit, plays tight end for Carl Albert, though. Um, and really, Sperry just looked really comfortable. Uh, he uh, he was delivering the ball over the field he finished the day with over 100 rushing yards he really showed off that mobility which we we all knew he had but it was good to see it on display especially at such a high level the state championship game um and so so he's again just <laughs> showed why he's rated as highly as he is because showed off that arm strength that touch i mean when he's putting the ball 40 yards downfield it looks like he's barely flicking the wrist right it's it's not it doesn't take a ton of effort for him to put the ball far yeah. down the field uh, and again, I think that uh, after the game, he reaffirmed his commitment to OU. He said, I'm locked in with the Sooners as long as Brent Venables is there. I love Coach BV. I love Coach Latrell. I love Coach John. I'm excited. to." He said he's built a relationship with them. And again, uh, 2025 is a long way. But from what he said, I would say that it seems like Kevin Sperry is pretty locked in with OU at the moment. I think that uh, at least, again, according to his own words, he's locked in with OU. And yeah. his teammate Xavier Robinson said the same thing. The talented 2024 running back. Uh, he said that he was actually going to get uh, to Norman December 15th. I guess that's when he can start working out with Coach Schmidt. He said, I'm excited to get there December 15th start working out, getting in the weight room with Coach Schmidt. Uh, he said that he'll be moving in in January, so that's there's an, an early enrollee to keep an eye on in the 2024 class. But that's a guy who, again, had a phenomenal game. I think he scored three touchdowns himself, uh, including the receiving touchdown he also had. Yeah, he did score three touchdowns. The receiving touchdown, he had a three-yard short yardage touchdown, and then he broke a 46-yarder where he's just – Throwing guys off of him, uh, pushing dudes out of the way. Check my Twitter or check allsooners.com for the, all the highlights of that. Uh, it was pretty impressive. Uh, Trine Washington had a good game in the state championship as well. He's an OU tight end commit. I, who again, if you want to know how athletic Trine Washington is, tight end commit that's playing corner and safety in high school, had two picks in the end zone in the state championship game. Pretty good. Um, and then there the the fifth guy and Marcus Marcus James had a good game at linebacker. I mentioned he caught touchdown at uh, linebacker. He was Hitting dudes pretty hard. He, he looked good out there. The, the fifth guy I'll mention, Tristan Haynes, who has an offer from OU. is not committed. Uh, but, again, he's a guy that schools all over the country want. Uh, four-star recruit. Alabama's in on him. Uh, a Really coveted prospect. He he played some good coverage. He was able to knock the ball away from Ladanian Fields deep down the field. He caught a 30, 40-yard pass himself. So he, he had a solid day
0: too. So Sperry – reaffirmed his commitment to Oklahoma, and this is with Jeff Levy. Remember, a few days after Jeff Levy leaves for for Mississippi State, a guy that he's spent two years uh, being recruited by, building relationships by, he goes to Mississippi State. What does Kevin Sperry do? He comes out and reaffirms, I'm sticking with Oklahoma. So did Michael Hawkins, who is absolutely shredding Texas oh, high school football playoffs right now, and so has uh, Brendan Zerbrug who has confirmed that he's uh, enrolling early at OU. He's going to be a, a January arrival as well.
2: Yeah, and I, I mean, I, that's huge for the Sooners because we mentioned it that you, the a lot of OU's position coaches were staying put, and so a lot of those guys you wouldn't really have to worry about decommitting or transferring because the – the coaches that recruited them that coach them in practice every day are, are still there right and who's the position coach that did leave the quarterbacks coach right and so that's where you have to worry uh, of course Dylan Gabriel into the transfer portal we kind of expected that or expected him to move on from OU somehow maybe not the transfer portal but um I mean I think to know that your quarterbacks coach left and you were able to keep all three of the committed recruits uh in their classes I mean that's the biggest victory you can get from that whole situation so far there's been 1D commitment after the Jeff Levy departure. Uh, and that's in a receiver group that was already pretty deep. With, again, I'm not trying to say those years is not a loss in that class, but you feel it less when you've got four other receivers committed, right? Uh, and so uh, again, yeah, the, going back to the quarterbacks, that's keeping those guys on board is the, was the most important, I think most worrisome uh, thing about Jeff Levy leaving. But uh, I, I think it's also important to mention that at The Saturday state championship games, which was Heritage Hall and Carl Albert, um, Seth Luttrell, Joe John Finley, Brent Venables, uh, Ted Roof, DeMarco Murray, Jay Villay. All those guys were there. They were all there checking those guys out. uh, And I think that uh, I think that that goes a long way. Um, Again, Sperry told us that he already has developed a good relationship with Joe John, with uh, Seth Luttrell. So I think that um, I think that right now things are looking good uh, in that department for the Sooners, keeping those guys.
0: You know what would have been an bo- absolute boss move is to roll that uh, OU equipment truck that 18 wheeler up to the game, park it right out front of the stadium and have Brent lead this the staff of uh, guys down the ramp.
2: Yeah, that would have been awesome. And they all walk
0: on the ramp and then they hold that little uh, that little uh, hydraulic thing and, and go down. That would be amazing.
2: I agree, that would be amazing. As long as there's no smoke machine. We kind we saw Brent Venables take a Yeah, No more smoke machines. No more smoke machines. <laughs> Brent, don't do the
0: smoke machines anymore.
2: But yeah, no, I have seen coaches
0: this, and this, this has to be why you've seen coaches come out early in their careers, and they're like, "Yeah, I'm leading the team on the field, I'm gonna be," and later in their career, they're like, "I'll see you guys out on the sideline."
2: (laughs) Maybe that's why Dabo runs so fast down that hill.
0: Yeah, that's pretty (laughs) scary. Have you ever been on that? Have you ever been in the Clemson Stadium?
2: No, I haven't.
0: You hit Howard's Rock and then you run down that ramp. It's a real ramp. <laughs> it's a steep angle. And I got—I was down there and I'm like, I don't know that I could actually run down this thing and end up, you know, not on my face at the <laughs> bottom.
2: Yeah, I'm sure they're not doing many smoke machines out of Howard Rock. I would hope not.
0: <laughs> um, all right, so you got a busy weekend coming up. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, you're going to be uh, traipsing around the uh, Lone Star State following uh, recruits.
2: Next Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Next
0: Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Okay, I'm a week ahead. So what are you off this weekend? No, actually,
2: this (laughs) weekend. uh, Never, never. This weekend will be uh, at the final Oklahoma State championship game of the season. Kind of sad for me that Oklahoma high school football is done. I love Oklahoma high school football. But a two-way state title game between Millwood and Washington. It's a rematch from last season. And uh, a two-way football, you might not think uh, anything of it. But guess what? Jaden Nickens is a four-star recruit who is a big-time prospect that OU's got, committed in the 2025 class. He's joined uh, Kevin Sperry in that 2025 class. In case you missed it, he had a game-winning kick return uh, with 12 seconds left to beat uh, Kiefer in the state semifinals, which, first off, why do you kick to the OU commit? You literally just do anything else when there's 12 seconds left in the game, but we'll table that discussion. Uh, so Jaden Nickens, fresh off of leading Millwood to the state title game. Uh, and then Washington, of course, they've got Nate Roberts, who... OU is hard on the trail for uh this is a you know one of the top 70 players in the entire country one of the top two three tight ends in the nation depending on what service you look at uh from little old Washington Oklahoma but I promise I've been there I've seen him he can play this that rating is much deserved for a kid who's 6'4 235 pounds as a junior in high school he moves well he catches the ball well he blocks nasty uh it's it's definitely a guy that um that OU wants I mean at the semifinal game, not only was OU there, Penn State, Ohio State, tons of recruit, wow. recruiting staffs were out there. In Again, in Washington, Oklahoma. Well, I guess they're at Southern Nazarene. But at Southern Nazarene to see in the cold, to see this, this small school tight end play. Uh, OU really, really wants Nate Roberts in that 2025 class. He was committed to Notre Dame, decommitted. We've seen him train with Elijah Thomas and Kevin Sperry, two OU commits in that 2025 class. OU's got a good chance. They need to close on him. Uh, So it'll be interesting to talk to him next Saturday, kind of see where he's at, maybe see when he's uh, got a decision coming. But um, I think that getting to see both those guys in one game, it'll be really exciting. I'm happy to see that. Then we'll jump ahead to the next week where we'll be heading to Dallas uh, to see Thursday, Friday, Saturday, see some OU recruits. There'll be plenty of guys out there. Like you mentioned, Michael Hawkins is uh, still in the the state playoffs, so he might be uh, in the state championship. He's been, like you said, tearing it up. Jonathan Hatton in the 2026 class at Cibolo Steel. Steel's got a chance to be in the state title game too, so would love to go down there and talk to him. And, and a few other uh, uncommitted guys that have OU offers uh, might also be playing in the state title game. So exciting time for recruiting.
0: Yeah, we've got to get some FaceTime with uh, with Hawkins. Win or lose this week, we'll get some FaceTime with him next week and bring you, the, uh, bring you the story and the video and the words and the pictures at allsooners.com. Uh, we might as well finish with this, Randall. Uh, the uh, OSSAA, the Oklahoma Secondary Schools Activities Association, voted today to allow one free transfer in high school sports, meaning you've got an open door you can transfer anywhere you want in the state of Oklahoma uh, one time. Crazy. Like the OSSAA has been the most one of the most conservative on these types of, uh, you know, decisions to transfers and they're they're kind of hard asses when it comes to what's your hardship for coming into this district and can you prove and can you provide not just uh you know electric bills and things like that but i need i need to see you i need a like a a private detective that sees you getting on the bus every day and getting to that school that you say you're going to they're really strict and to allow this is really kind of a shock
2: yeah, I agree. And and you know, not only does it allow you that free transfer, you don't have to live in the district. You don't have to sit I, out a year. You yeah, can just go. Yeah. And I mean, while you know, some schools, it'll have a bigger effect on than others, obviously. I mean, we've already seen the high, high school transfer portal in Oklahoma has been pretty active uh, these past few off seasons. I mean, I'm not going to drop any names, obviously, of schools or players, but you can look around the state of Oklahoma. There's tons of guys who miraculously one off season go from one school to another uh and again kids looking for better opportunities you don't want to put that on the kids nothing wrong with that but it's just it is crazy it's interesting Uh, and it'll change the high school football landscape in Oklahoma there's a there's plenty of guys in the state of Oklahoma who either will pick up OU offers or who already have an OU offer that this could affect whether it's them changing schools or whether it makes their district easier harder whatever Uh, I think it'll be really interesting (laughs) The first comment I saw was, oh, so everyone's going to be playing at Bixby. Well, you and I mentioned it. Bixby doesn't need that. Bixby's going to win anyway. Uh, So it'll be interesting. There will be a few schools. I I know I can I'm not going to say it on air, but I can tell you which schools are going to be the most impacted positively and negatively by this. Um, So it'll just be interesting to see what happens. I think there'll definitely be more and (laughs) I think there'll definitely be more super teams in the state of Oklahoma.
0: My homies in Ada need to get it together. It's been long, <laughs> long enough that we have, we've been chasing that next state championship. We need to get uh, the NIL money together in, in Ada. Get some NIL money together in Ada. Hey, listen, people used to accuse us of recruiting it all the time. Recruiting. You guys recruiting in Ada. Well, it's okay to do it now. Let's yeah, get to recruiting. Come on, Cougs. It's time to start stacking stadies again, right? I will say,
2: Ada had a good year this
0: year, so maybe, maybe it's in the works. They're close. Getting closer. Getting closer. We like winning better than losing. That's for damn sure. Good stuff, Randall. Appreciate it, man.
2: Yeah, thanks, Sue.
0: Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week on the All Sooners podcast. Uh, You can find that show and all of our shows on Apple, Google, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, anywhere you get your podcast. If you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the player and listen on your phone. Tablet or your computer and all of our shows are posted on my youtube channel john hoover media for ryan chapman for randall sweet i am john hoover see you guys